You're listening to Earnestly Speaking, the only weekly podcast that covers friends, foes, and anything that goes. And now, for your badass host, Ernest Bowens. And we're back for another episode of Earnestly Speaking with your host, Ernest Bowens, myself. <laughs> Woo! So I decided to record this podcast after the Super Bowl because I knew that something was going to happen and if I recorded it before then the show would like be not stale but wouldn't be as fresh so I'm so happy I did that because clearly my girl Rihanna has some news and we're going to talk about all of that but I just have so much I have fully 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 recovered from my Grammys. It's been a week since I went to the Grammys. Of course, 65th annual Grammys, um, which was clearly memorable, very memorable. But I have finally, you know, caught up on rest, caught up on all of my other tasks and everything. I feel fully refreshed. We are literally one week away from my book coming out. It is so exciting. Um, everyone's like, how do you feel? Fucking excited. <laughs> like, I don't know what else I'm supposed to say. I'm not nervous. I mean, it's like you you get the, 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 what, goosebumps about it all. You're like, oh, my goodness, this is happening. Like, I don't know what it's like to have a child, like, to deliver a child. But whatever that feeling is, it might be that feeling I have. It's like the combination of, oh, my goodness, like, like let's go to, oh, my goodness, you know, what happened? What's going on? But the one thing I will say is, is that. I have been very um, attentive and present throughout every aspect of this journey. So I, I'm really happy to be at this point of it. And for the years I've put just writing and, and editing and promoting, we're at a really important moment um, for the book and for my career and everything that comes with it. And so I'm super excited. I'm very humbled by the overall um, enthusiasm, both good and bad from people. Folks that ain't even read it, hate it already because they don't like the, ter- the term cancel culture. And there are folks that are like, hell yeah, this is fascinating, that have done advanced reads and interviews. There's so much um, media and, and interviews that are coming out, lots of podcast interviews, um, newspaper interviews, TV. We got a lot of stuff coming up. So just stay tuned for real, for real. Like, we're here. We're like, we're here. Um, and this is the fun part. The super, super fun part. Every every aspect of this journey has been um, fascinating. And it's just really great to be on this side of everything where I can see all of this stuff. The things that, you know, I've worked on with my team. A lot of the, you know, planning. It's time to execute. And so I cannot wait. You know, for me, I've done a really good I guess, chunk of this experience, taking a step away from the material and then going back to it, you know, because I never wanted to burn myself out. And it's been a really great experience to have moments where I'm like, look, I'm not thinking about the book. But then these last, like, I want to say the last month, I've been deep into it. And I would take these these ebb and flows of like, okay, I don't want to think about every minute or day of it, every second of the, about the book. Because I wanted to, you know, focus on the other things I have going on. But right now, my focus is on the book. And so people are like, what's next? Motherfucker, this is this is the next. This is the now. 
this is where I'm at right now. So I, I don't want to think about anything. They're like, oh, what about the next book? Some people are saying, can y'all read the first book? Like some of y'all, like, can we, can we get the, the first book out, please? <laughs> you know, I just, I'm just one of those people where as much as I love to be a dreamer, one thing that I'm really big at is being in the present. And I think that's something I've learned a lot, especially this year, is just we, especially for my black folks that are out here on their grind and doing their thing and striving, sometimes we just are so forward thinking, which is great, but we don't take a step back to just appreciate what we've achieved and what we've accomplished. And sometimes because we're so busy trying to be on what's next, we forget that at one point in time in our career, what's our current present was our next. And we told ourselves we would be grateful and we would be appreciative if that happened. And then I think what happens is we get to that point and then we're just kind of like thinking about something else. We, we got to slow back a little bit. We got to take a moment to take that time. Um, and, and that's what I've been doing. Like I've been really much so like, look, here I am right now. Let's look at where we are today in February of 2023. What are we doing? What's great about our lives right now? What's what's wonderful about what's going on right now? Because so much of what we've been trained and programmed to do is keep thinking about what's next, but we haven't been living in the present. So my logic has always been that I'm going to be living in the present and appreciating it and also keeping a, keeping keeping the future on my mind as well. We could do two things at the same time, but I'm always going to be in the now because there's so many people and friends and experiences that I want to pour into and appreciate right now. And I'm not going to not do that. <laughs> so I'm enjoying my book. I'm enjoying this experience. I'm enjoying all of it. I'm being present in it. I'm savoring every interview. I'm savoring every piece of work because there was a time, as you all know, through this journey at the very beginning, when I first started this podcast about two years ago, where I was saying, you know, stay tuned. I want to see this book go through. I was waiting for the book deal. And then I got the book deal. And then I had to write the book. And that process was a lot of work. <laughs> and I had to think to myself, like, damn, when I get, you know, when I get this book done, I can't wait to consider the marketing. And so now I'm in that process, the marketing, the planning and this. And I'm enjoying the cool things, the ideas that my publicist and my agent and my and the, and the publication I'm with. Like I'm thinking about all the cool stuff, photo shoots and, and, and all of that. You know, it's such a fun experience because you get to work with people that really care about your work and care about it just as much as you do to a certain extent. Like they're really hyped. They're like... I got this new idea. They're like thinking of things every day. It's a new interview, a new media outlet. We're talking to, you know, plans and different things that come out of the, the left field in a good way. And I'm just like, damn, this is this is awesome to have people who are getting paid and invested and in seeing what I'm doing thrive. This is the first time in my career where I had this much investment from a team on something that is solely mine. And it made me wonder, like, damn, because so much of the early part of my career, and people know this, my close friends know, 
I was pushing a lot of that by myself. I was paying for my my posters. I was, you know, doing my own videography. I was executive directing different little pieces of my YouTube videos and and and, and recordings and radio show. I was doing all of that marketing. I was getting my friends um, to make graphics for me and posters. And it was a small militia of just me and my friends that was really pushing the stuff that I cared about to get me to this point. And so to be over a decade later in this position where I have a team of people that's doing all of this work and listening to me and hearing my cues and my my ideas and, and executing that and listening to what I want to do and valuing my opinion. That's 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 the dream. And so I'm just super grateful. I'm just super excited, you know, to me to even get to this point and to even achieve this is success. Um, if the book sells well and does well and slay the charts and do all that great stuff and win awards, that's just, of course, immense. But if the book sells, you know, average and people read it and love it and it does well in that regard, it's still a success to me. I come in with the gratitude and, and recognizing that I've really fought a Goliath, that in my early 30s, I was able to published a mainstream book, got a six-figure advance, did it on a topic that I wanted to do, a topic that people that look like me, that's my age, that's from my background, don't get to put out in the world and get this type of support. And it's already making people rethink and it's already changing minds and making people think different things and learn different things. That, that That's the success right there. But of course, you know, I'm a little greedy, so I'm going with some other things, too. But I'm grateful. I'm happy. I'm coming to this situation. Whatever happens, already feeling like a winner. And it's already been a win. And whatever happens after that is just going to be even more of a, of, a, of a great time. So for all of the letters, the messages, the DMs, the text message, all of the great messages and encouragement over the last several months, especially in the last couple of weeks, I read them all. I appreciate them. I'm really happy to feel the love and the support from so many of you all. And I'm just excited. This is the fun part. You know, this is the journey. Um, And it's super excited, especially next week. So many good things are happening next week to kick off this great experience. And I'm just enjoying the big seven days before my life will change. I know this book is about to go wild. I, I I feel it. I I sense it. There's just been a couple of things that has just made me be like, hmm, okay. You know, and I'm, yeah, I feel it. I think y'all feel it too. We all feel it. And I'm just enjoying this time right now um, to reflect because so many things are even happening this week before we get into next week. Um, which I'm super excited about. So, you know, how do I start this? I mean, well, I'll start off by saying that February 13th is an important day in my life. Um, It's my ninth anniversary to Mr. Johnson as a couple. We've been dating for officially nine years. We've been married for a year and we're going to be two years in October, but we've been dating for nine years. Um, And... I'm like, damn, time goes by fast. I was just hanging out with my girl Amanda 
And we were just like, I was like, damn, it's been, we've been, we've been, we've been in the throes for a minute. But I was like, damn, I've been off the market for that long. Woof. Time goes by when you're having fun. Um, yeah, nine years. Mr. Johnson and I have been dating. Met in college, of course, as you all know. But it was the day before Valentine's Day, and I remember it very well. I think it was like midnight because House of Cards season two had their um, premiere. And I remember that night because, I mean, House of Cards is over now, so I can say it. But it was right before that episode where uh, Frank Underwood throws old girl out in the subway, just like a gangster. And I remember gasping because y'all know what I'm talking about. It was a reporter chick who was in the show. The first season, she was finding things and uncovering shit about him. And she was about to, she was the main, like one of the lead actresses in the first season. So she's like a main character. She's a, a crucial part of the plot. So the second season, you're thinking she's the first episode. She's digging in him. She's finding out his secrets. And you're like, oh shit, she's about to get in his ass this season. We ready for it. Frank Underwood going down, right? Kevin Spacey played him, of course. Now he's disgraced. I talk about it in my book. Well, well, you know, you can read it. But in this moment, you're like, Kevin, Sp Kevin Spacey used to be one of my favorite actors, by the way. I loved him in American Beauty. I was always a big Kevin Spacey fan. And I know Denzel Washington should have won for the hurricane. But y'all, American Beauty was such a good film. I, I loved Annette Bening in it. But she lost to Hilary Swank for Boys Don't Cry, which was a good win for Hilary Swank because that was a pretty good fucking movie and performance, even though there was some problems with the storyline. But again, I digress. Um, loved, love, 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 loved um, American Beauty. And Sam, Sam Mendes, who was one of the few directors that went best director for his de directorial debut, who later married Kate Winslet, which is one of my favorite actresses, Proud Libra. They divorced. He ended up making a movie called 1917, that war movie that didn't win. Baby, that was an Oscar from a couple years ago. Lost to Parasite, praise God, because Parasite was better. I am a film buff, y'all. Y'all know this. But anywho, love that film. I could talk about that film for days. Um, that scene with Chris Cooper and Kevin Spacey at the end of American Beauty, if you haven't seen it, watch it. Um, I can do a whole dissertation about what that scene was about and how powerful it was. But anywho. Nonetheless, loved Kevin Spacey back then. Damn it, Kevin, why? Why, why, why? Very disappointing in him. Um, but at this time in the scene, Kevin Spacey's about to get away with murder because he always gets away in this film, Frank Underwood. So in the scene, he's about like, you're like, oh shit, they're having a confrontation. It's going down. And Frank Underwood, like the gangster he is, just throws her right, in the, right out to the streets. Like throws her right into the train tracks. She gets hit by a train. She dies. And he just didn't give a fuck. I was like, what? I said, oh, this is my type of show. House of Cards is my show for like the first. I watched the whole show until the final end. It got a little rocky at the end, y'all. But the first, like, what, three seasons? That was some top-tier TV. That was when Netflix was in the zenith. Netflix now, eh, meh. But in the beginning, that was top-tier Netflix. Tell the kids, nine, ten years ago, House of Cards was that show. That was the show we watched. Yes, there's the British version. Went back and watched that too. It's cute, but this Frank Ocean, Frank Ocean, <laughs> Frank Underwood, you know, Claire Underwood. Listen, me and Amanda used to play that shit all day, every day. Okay. We used to love that. No one was fucking with Claire and no one was fucking with Frank. And that was the motherfucking show of the era. Love that show down. Still do. Still do. First three seasons, 
definitely was top tier. Should have got more Emmys, but I digress. So anyway, while I was watching this, somehow we were talking about Valentine's Day. <laughs> so Barry was in my dorm. I was at the Boys College House. He stayed at Hill College House, but Hill was not as nice as the boys college house which was on 39th and walnut the boys was so we was watching the show and was just kind of like hmm i'm like okay it's valentine's day coming up what we doing what are we and he was like i guess we're going out i guess we are going out he's like i guess we're going out so okay well we need to make it facebook official so we did <laughs> and that's how we got february 13th the day before valentine's day because i wasn't coming to valentine's day you know, single. We weren't single then, but, you know, some of y'all need to understand labels. Some of y'all be like, oh, situation. Let me tell you something about situationships. Situationships going to get you so far, okay? If you like it, then you should put a ring on it or a name on it or something. All this, look, when you get a certain age, that whole we fucking around or we not or we, we not claiming each other, but you still mad if you see the person with somebody. Listen, my mother used to say it like this. She still say it like this. She says, listen, if you're not married, you single. Now, I'd be like, ma, now, 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 now. But she's she's serious about this. She's like, if you're not married, you single. <sighs> okay, let me put it this way. I get it. It's funny because I'm sound like the conservative in this situation dynamic. I'll put it this way. If you got a serious relationship with somebody and you want to be, you know, uh, monogamous, then you need to declare some level of understanding on what the relationship is and have those conversations. I know people are scared to have these conversations. If you're scared the person gonna leave you because you're having a serious conversation about what the relationship is, then that means that you already know what kind of relationship you're in and you need to decide if that's what you wanna be in or that's what you wanna get out. But if you decide to fuck around with a fuck boy or a fuck girl, whomever, fuck they, let's just keep it all the way, let's use all of our pronouns, then you are choosing to go down that path and you need to be an adult and be responsible for your decisions. So, you know, when I talk about my past, you know, relationships or situationships and shit, I gotta be real with you. I own my shit, you know. When I was in situations with people that wasn't being transparent and I decided to still stick around because I wanted the feeling, the feeling had a cost, okay? And the cost was uncertainty. And if the uncertainty was there and you was okay with it, look at me talking about relationships. Look, it's Valentine's Day. We're going to have a little bit of relationship talk too. I wasn't expecting to go down this route, but here the fuck we are. Um, if you choose to be in a relationship, I'm sorry, a situationship or whatever the hell you want to call it, an entanglement with somebody and you're not being transparent about what you would like to see or, or, or put those expectations on the table, then at the end of the day, it is what it's going to be. And that's maybe okay. I'm not judging any situation. What I'm judging is people's decisions to feel any type of way without establishing or letting people know up front what it is. Does that make sense? Say yes if you agree. Not if you don't. Tweet if you do. Get it. Okay? So what I mean by that is that there was a time when I was younger where I used to assume I used to be mad at certain people. I wouldn't even put a gender on it, but we could say largely men. And I would be like, you leading this person on, you doing this, you doing that. Now, when I was much younger, 18, 19-ish, whatever, with my teen years, that used to be my attitude. But when I got to 21 and I had some agency, right, some real adulthood agency in my life to make decisions, I began to say to myself, well, some people around me was making decisions that I wasn't making, meaning I was straight up with dudes. I'd be like, look, we had a couple of dates. I'm a Southern gal. I want to know 
What 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 what, what you trying to do? What what we trying to do? Because I'm feeling you. I'm catching some feelings. We're clearly spending time together. We may or may not have had a night or two or a couple. <laughs> so you know what it is and clearly you think it's good because <laughs> you're around. Um, so clearly it's a vibe, right? What's up? If the conversation is, I don't know, you know, I'm trying to figure things out. Um, then I have two options at that point. Well, three, let's say. One option could be, if you don't know what you're doing right now, that means that I don't know if I want to put my feelings in risk. Because if you say you don't know, that means that if I'm coming to a position of where I know what I want to do and we're not aligned, then I don't want to waste my time or put my feelings in jeopardy or invest more of my energy somewhere that may not be reciprocal. So this is the part where I need to, to you know, given how I feel, and maybe I should just take a step back, right? Don't mean you cancel. I'm never talking to you again. It might just mean, you know what? I need to fall back because, you know, I don't want to keep giving all this good and then the good ain't, you know what I'm saying? We're we going to get in a situation where things get a little messy. So that's one. I've done that before. Two is, okay, you know what? I'm in a mindset where, you know, I'm really not trying to jump out there in these streets and deal with other people and keep going through the dating loop. I like you. I think you're a decent dude. I might try you out. I'm going to fuck with you at my own risk, which means I'm playing, I'm rolling the dice, but that depends on if you feeling the way you feeling, but you, you make it a choice. If it's, if the person is that good and you really, really like them, you could roll the dice, but understand if it doesn't work out, that's on you. So can you afford, can you, do you have the emotional, and this is what you have to assess within yourself. Do you have the emotional currency? Because we all know ourselves, our emotions. Like, do you have the ability that if this does not work, are you going to be completely devastated? Is this going to break you? Are you not ready for the next person in the event that this doesn't work out? Do you have this much patience? Do you have that kind of emotional capacity right now to play and test the waters like that? Maybe, maybe not. But you got to make that decision. But if you make the decision to stay in the situation with those concessions, then you need to also recognize that if it does not work, this is on you, on your end. You can't fault this person because let's be clear, if this person is being honest and transparent, because let's be clear, if they're not, if they're lying, that's understood. People lie, then we got problems. But if the person's being upfront, you got to figure out for yourself if this is worth it, if you have the emotional capacity. And then the third option is if you decide to stay around, but in the back of your mind, they're not your main priority. Now, I've done this game, too. I've done all three of these. That's what I'm talking about. This third option, okay, now this is kind of lethal, but at the end of the day, at this, you know, where it's like, you know what? You was my one and only you was my focal point. Like you, still want to talk to you, but I'm going to keep my other numbers and options open. So this means other people going to be able to enter the chat. Not to say you're not important, 
It's just that while you trying to figure it out and I want to figure it out with you, I'm going to let some other people that may or may not have their shit together shoot their shot as well. So, yes, we're talking, but clearly you're not committed. And, you know, I still like you and you don't want to just throw it away, per se. Maybe you got the ability to have a little fun. Then you might consider this other option. So the three options is, are B. A, you could just cut it where you're at. Keep it the fuck moving. That's where I was at 22, 20. You know, at that point, 21, 22, when I was, before I was with Mr. Johnson, I was like, if you ain't here for it, I got to go. I ain't going to play games. That middle section, I'm going to fuck around and find out. That was me around my early 20s, late, late, like when I was in my, like when I started at like 20. Like, I was like, okay, let me roll the dice. This last option, option C, was the I'm going to have my cake and ice cream to finagle, flay around. That was really me more so when I was 18. We all got options. Just choose wisely. But whatever you are in these options, have the agency. There's no such thing as it being anybody's fault why your relationship ain't working. It could be one person's responsibility and fault to a certain extent. But before you are in a committed, we talk about dating. If you marry and shit, that changes. But when you are literally dating, there's no way that you can lose in dating um, unless you're blatantly being lied to. But let's be very clear when we say blatantly lied to. If the person told you they have no kids and you find out they have kids, okay. If the person told you they were not married and you find out they got a wife or they in a relationship and they didn't tell you there was a relationship and you did not know, keep it 100, that you honestly 100% did not know, that is real, right? I had situations where there were dudes who had whole girlfriends and did not keep that 100. And then that was when I had to be like, okay, I got to go, right? That shit is real. If you're getting blatantly lied to, all my thoughts and prayers to you. Okay, my condolences. But I'm willing to bet that there are people who are in situations, maybe people listen to this podcast right now, where you know what you know and you're still trying to fuck around and find out. If you're that person, A, B, C. Pick one of those options and act accordingly. That's my little random... I felt something in my spirit that said, somebody listen to this, this podcast, you need to hear this. Don't know who it is. <laughs> really don't have a person in mind because most of my friends are for the most part in healthy relationships or healthily single or in good committed relationships. The ones are my actual friends. I'm not talking about folks out in New York that's married and a situation shitty. I'm not talking about no one specifically. I'm just saying in general, like I, it could be any city. Um, but what I will say that it is, it could be any situation. Um <laughs> So, yeah, I'll say that much. Okay, so I went on that roll in, rolled in. Okay, so when I got back to Philly, I got thrown into a lot of events. My friends wanted to see me. My lip brothers wanted to catch up with me. There was so much catching up to do with friends, and I had a really good damn time. So I first went to the forum exhibit for the Black Founders Exhibition that is at the National Museum, the Museum of the American Revolution. The Museum of the American Revolution is an old city in Philadelphia, a beautiful brand new museum. It's been around for a couple of years, but they're in their groove. And they have this beautiful black history exhibit that is currently there, open to the public. 
Um, as president of the Philadelphia Association of Black Journalists, I was great to host and cooperate with the sponsorship for the Museum of the American Revolution, a very exclusive sneak peek with members of my organization. And we got a sneak peek of the exhibit before the public did. Now it's open to the public. Tickets are on sale. It's very affordable. They're working with various Black-owned organizations and groups to do special events. And there's audio ability. There's opportunities for kids to color and coloring books and know history in a different way. It's family-friendly. It's it's for, for, for history buffs and geeks. But it's also accessible for those who just want to know a little bit of their Black history. And what I love about this is that it's centered on Black founders and it's centered on this history and how it connects to Philadelphia but nationally. It's a great exhibit. It's going to be around for, for a while um, all throughout this year. So if you're coming to Philadelphia in the summer, it's still going to be available. They're doing all types of special events and things throughout the year to keep the energy going. Please, 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 please go. It's a great opportunity. They're on Twitter, they're on Instagram, they're on Facebook. Um, check them out. It's a really great exhibit. I was really, 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 really happy to go. And, you know, we're working, the Philadelphia Association of Black Journalists, which we are calling PABJ, we're collaborating with the Museum of the, of the American Revolution to do a mural canvas from April 20th. Tickets for that event has not went public, but it's free, but we want people to RSV, RSVP in advance. We are doing a mural canvas forum. I am hosting it. So you all will get to see me talk to these mural candidates. All the mural candidates that we reached out to have confirmed. So... Anybody who's in that top seven, top six, top eight, whoever makes it to the final ballot, they will be at this mural canvas form. And you will see my esteemed group of panelists ask them some really tough questions, and we're going to have some really big conversations. You all have been following the podcast. Clearly, they have been listening to. So we're super excited to have this forum. The Philadelphia Association of Black Journalists have been doing mural forums long before all these groups got funding to do them. We've been doing them for over 20 years. In fact, we got an, an, an Academy, I'm not Academy Award, an, an Emmy Award nomination, um, the Mid-Atlantic um, chapter, uh, the Mid-Atlantic region of the National Academy of Social Arts and Sciences. They do their Mid-Atlantic region, regional Emmys. We received the nomination like 20 years ago um, for the mural candidates form we had when that was then... Um, Mayor John Street running for re-election and it was around that infamous time of that wiretapping of his office that Merrill Candace Forum was around that time when all that was going on and it was a memorable moment. Here we are now over 20 years later coming back again, having a Merrill Candace Forum right here in the heart of Philadelphia at this museum and it's going to go down in the ballroom. So April 20th, save your calendar day, I believe the event's going to be from 6 to 9 you know, it's it's not going to be three hour long forum, but just the time allotment. But it's going to be around that time. Save the day, show up. Tickets will be out in the public later in. Um, we're going to put it out in March. The tickets will be out in March. Um, but take advantage of this opportunity. It's going to be a very very dope event. We look forward to seeing you. Also, before I continue, um, PABJ is having a Women's History Month soiree um, to honor Black women in media. If you are a Black woman or a woman who loves black women and you want to network with some incredible women who are doing some great things. We're honoring some incredible women across the media industry in the region. Um, this event is open to the public. It's going to be at Bayou, um, which is right next to Booker's, that black-owned lounge, Bayou Lounge, which is on like 50th in Baltimore. Tickets are $75, which includes drink specials and an, an, an incredible like brunch, brunch, like buffet. Great brunch. Not like just eggs and waffles. Like it's going to be Fancy Smancy and all of these incredible women are going to be there. All of the proceeds of money is going to go to, is going to support PABJ 
programming because as you know we are a 501c3 so the money is going to a good cause to support our efforts there are some um women mayoral candidates have been invited to attend some other great honorees will be there as well and it's a great way to network to get tickets check out eventbrite we have tickets on sale eventbrite tickets are selling fast so you can just go to eventbrite put in pabj women's history month survey and it should come up there. Or you can just get tickets directly on our website at thepabj.org. There's a banner that says get tickets. You just click on it and you can automatically go get directed to there. But tickets are 75 bucks. Get your tickets now. Spread it to a word. If you got some women friends that you know that's like, look, they need to get out the house. It's going to be on Saturday, March 11th from 11 to 1 p.m. So this is coming up, y'all, less than a month. It's going to be Saturday, March 11th in West Philly from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Get your tickets now. Support women. Let people know what's up. Spread the word. So just want to put that out there. Um, outside of that, um, yeah, that was that's my events. But back to what happened after the, the museum. So I went to the museum, had a great time. And then the Lit Brothers, of course, Josh, George, and Jamarcus, um, they wanted to party some more. George had to go home, actually, because he, listen, he be busy out here. He out here doing it in these streets. But Josh and Jamarcus and I decided to go to Hard Rock Cafe in Philly. Um, and they had their 25th anniversary. Hard Rock Cafe in Philly been around for 25 years. Who would have known? Well, they had a big old 25, 25th anniversary bash. We had, like, these VIP passes. And we saw Boys to Men live. Boys to Men came at the event. It was an open bar. We were definitely having lots of rounds. It was a dope-ass party. And Boys the Men came out live and performed all of their hits. Nothing but hits. I didn't even realize how many songs Boys the Men had. I mean, also, when Boys the Men were in their prime, I was like like six years old, four years old. Like, I Make Love to You, End um, of the Road. I was like under 10 years old when those songs came out. I was like six, seven, five. So I knew how hot they were because when I was young, I remember commercials and TV and I just remember their sound, but I just, it didn't hit me who they were. Like, I mean, okay, my age is showing, I'm 31, but that, that, you know, they were out when some of you all were listening and you all can appreciate them, okay? But I didn't know these groups. I remember one 12 Peaches and Cream commercial, uh, not commercial, music video. I remember that video when I was younger. And I just remember how racy it was. I was like, oh my goodness. I am like having a gay awakening and not realizing it. But I definitely had a lot of those when I was younger. First of all, the boy bands were much cuter. The, the black boy groups, sexier, more swankish. The music, like Drew Hill. Oh my goodness. Oh. Um, mm. Like all of them were cute. Now, Boys the Man was not the cutest boy band. They clearly had better pipes than they had. Okay, we're going to keep it cute. <laughs> they were definitely, their vocals definitely outshined there. But, you know, I like that, though. I feel like the uglier the boy bands, okay, I'm not saying they're ugly, but I'm just saying the more average the boy band guys look, the better their vocals were. Because some of these boy bands, they're super model-esque and cute, but they can't sing worth the lick. Y'all know what I'm talking about. The, the boy bands coming out nowadays, they're selling sex appeal, but they don't actually have any, like, vocals. I don't really know how many good vo vocal groups they were. But it seemed like all of those older, like, R&B groups, those guys were average-looking men. And, you know, that is sexy. Like, we like an average guy. Like, you know, I mean, everybody can't be with the, the six. But everybody couldn't be Cisco, right? But it was nice to see, you know, Jagged Edge, those guys, you know, some, you know, they were cute. They were the guys that you can, you had a shot with. If you went to, you know, and, and listen, they were out here fucking the fans back then. Look, <laughs> 
they're still fucking the fans. But I just, I'm just saying, like, it just seemed like a different era. I feel like the guys out now, everybody has to have a six-pack. Everybody's got to have these lean bodies. Okay, back in that day, which some of you all know more than I do, but, you know, Usher had the body. But, like, Joe, to see them guys were, like, regular-ass dudes. You know, New Edition, they were cute. Now, New Edition, those boys were finer. But they were also just kind of like regular dudes. But their vocals and their talent is what sold the records. And they had a little bit of sex appeal, but it wasn't enough to be like, oh, my God. But then you get to, like, Jagged Edge and 112. Those boys were finer. The talent, was it subsiding a little bit? A little bit. But then you start moving through, and then you get groups like um, Day 21, and it's like, okay, the vocals, they're getting, they're still good, but it's more about looks than it is about vocal talent. I feel like the cute of those boys got the, the, the talent starts to, to dwindle. But I want to be very clear. I don't think those guys in the 90s were ugly. I just think they just look like my stepdad and my dad. And, you know, they look like our parents, guys. <laughs> Which, our parents are not ugly. They just, you know, they weren't, you know, they were definitely not Hollywood men. These men were very much like... They were definitely getting it in and knocking the boots, okay? Because H-Town was a fine group, too. But, like, that group was very... Those boys back then were just very different. And you can appreciate that because they could sing. Clearly, the talent is what got them in the door. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. Let me be very clear. There is nothing wrong with that. Hmm. I say all that to say that they were performing... And they had the crowd going. Those boys to men still got it. Vocals, they were fun. They were charming. And at the end, they gave everybody like roses. Like all the front, the women in the front row, they gave them hand, they hand give, gave them all individual roses. And the girls were losing their mind. Mind you, when I mean girls, there weren't girls. They were like auntie. The aunties were losing their mind. All the women at the front was old enough to be my auntie and my mother. They was losing their minds out there, okay? They knew their audience. And their audience knew them. And the audience knew the songs word by word, lyric by lyric, okay? Them men were selling millions of records. They were the highest selling R&B group of all time. They were selling records. They weren't selling streams, y'all. They were selling records. People were going and buying physical copies by the millions. We don't have that anymore. Look at me sounding like an old person. But, like, seriously. Like, people out here, my song is streaming this streams. Okay, but, like, it means something if you could get your ass up. And get in a fucking line to buy an album. How many, how much, how much music can we say is available in 2023 that will propel us to get in a line and stand outside of Virgin in centers in, in central what Times Square for two, three hours to physically get a copy? How many of us will do that? How much music is there? We know there's about maybe Five artists out. I'm not even going to get into naming them. One of their names starts with a B. And one of their names starts with a T. Those are the artists that will still get lines. We know this. The data shows that we know it, right? But not that many other artists can create that kind of energy across the country like that. Not too many of them can. The data shows that. I'm not... Don't get mad at me. Get mad at your fave. Unless your fave is Beyonce or Taylor Swift. And three other artists might be able to pull it off. But it's, it's very rare. But the way that people would get behind artists in that way, 
and, and will show up and be loyal and, and just really give energy. The music is not propelling that many people anymore to do that. It's just not, you know, the days of the Justin Bieber's that used to be out there. Justin Bieber, when he was hot, he, he got people in sync, got people, you know, you got to give credit where it was due. Backstreet Boys did that. Britney. Okay. Britney back then did that. These artists, I just, it's not that many that can still do that. Maybe Drake might, might, maybe. Oh, maybe Drake, maybe two, three years ago. I don't know if he can now, now. But it just doesn't have the same energy. Um, tour sales show that. These tours, some of these tours are selling well. But not all of these tours are selling like they used to. I'm just saying that the talent isn't as sustainable <clears throat> it's not as marketable. It's not as raw. And we feel it. Like, no one's doing Janet Jackson energy as much anymore. Because the way that Janet Jackson can get the crowd going, we're not even going to talk about Michael Jackson. Like, I'm not even going to talk about Prince. I'm just saying that we just don't have that energy anymore in music. You can feel it. And I'm happy that I was at least old enough. Because my brother, one of my, bro my one of my younger brothers, well, one of them, he's going to be 13 in March. He don't know anything. He's going to be 13 in April, actually. He don't know anything I'm talking about. My other brother, who's my, my, my second youngest, he's going to be 20, actually, in March. And he, he, he don't know anything about that like that either. But I'm happy to be in an age where I remember when people were, like, running and buying Barbie dolls of celebrities. Like, they don't even make dolls like that for celebrities. Anymore. I remember... When Britney Spears was a doll. When Brandy was a Barbie doll. Like, I remember that much. That was a different time. We don't make superstars like that anymore. And the ones that are superstars like that, most of them were superstars like 25 years ago like that. Like Mariah Carey. Like, they, you know, Madonna. Like, these people are still here. But I've seen artists that I've admired and loved over the years, and they haven't even... They're not even, some of them haven't even stayed around long enough to get those type of flowers. I mean, we had people who had potential. You know, Chris Brown had potential at one point. But look what happened there. But I digress. I digress. Um, so, yeah, this week has been fun. Um, I saw the boys, had a good time. I also caught up with some good friends. So, Laura and I... And Jamarcus went to Assembly Rooftop. They have this really cool Valentine's Day weekend theme that's going from now until the winter weekend. Some of y'all saw my IG story. They got this like fire and ice, romantic type of Valentine's Day cocktails, ice sculptures, chocolate s'mores, the fireplace outdoor. It was gorgeous up there. Assembly is popping, okay? I love me some Assembly. Um, their rooftop was super lit. Um, it was a great time. And they're drink, they have these really great drink specials and, and cocktails they're making. And I love cocktails. I'm a cocktail connoisseur, y'all. I don't know if you can tell. I just love a good cocktail. I love fun cocktails. Fun. Fruity. I don't like the chocolatey stuff. I mean, I know there was like chocolate martini espressos. Y'all like that shit. Y'all love it. I hate it. I hate I don't like espresso martinis because I'm not a coffee person. I think the only type of espresso I can do is if it's like a um, sorbet, like an espresso flavored sorbet um, or something like a dessert type of coffee desserts. Like if they make some type of uh, 
creme de la creme with the espresso finish. Like, I don't mind a dessert with the coffee finish or flavor to it. But outside of that, I don't want coffee. Anything coffee. I don't want a coffee cocktail. I don't want a coffee... I don't want coffee drinks, milkshakes, nothing like that. But I don't mind coffee as a dessert or coffee in a dessert. I don't mind that. That seems to be up my alley. Um, but that's how I keep this skin looking good, y'all. Y'all been seeing this skin. Shouts to Kills. Shouts to Rescue Spa. Y'all saw me at Rittenhouse this week. Rescue Spa. Listen, that Rescue Spa in Rittenhouse, I know there's one in New York, but the one in Philly, no joke. They went up in there and got my skin together. Now, I'm a, I'm a Kills girl. Y'all know all of my Kills. And my Kills products have been popping. Y'all have seen the skin at the Grammys. Y'all have seen the skin on my timeline. But those kit, but when I went to Rescue Spa, they cooked me up with some new products. It was a little high end, but they were, you know, they were gifts. They were French. They were, um, the products were from like French, I believe. I couldn't even pronounce them. I'm not even going to pretend I could pronounce them, but they were really nice. Um, this one place called Bajurich Vershik. I'm fucking up the name, but it's a long ass name, like Biogenigli Frigico Fornigico. It was like a second name. I, you all probably know if you're into skincare stuff, you know what I'm talking about. The stuff smells really bad, but the shit is beautiful in the skin. Uh, their products are, are fun. There was another company that was there who has a new line of skin products that they sent me. And I tried them and I love those products. But, you know, stuff like that. It's like for me, I'm realizing, okay, this might be my travel set. So when I travel, I will use those products. But then when I'm home and I'm able to take time on my schedule to get deep into my skin... Then I use the other products. So like I'm going, I'm bouncing back and forth between products. Not really. Just like if I'm traveling and it's quick, quick, boom, boom, bang. And I don't really want to carry a bunch of shit with me. Then I know what product, those are going to be the products I'm going to take with me on my travel. But when I'm at times like out in these streets and I have time and I have, I'm at home and I'm, you know, whatever. Then I'm going to use the other, I'm going to use my kills products. So I think I have a good flow I'm thinking about. Like I have my travel products. And then I have my other products. And I feel like that's a way for me to relax using certain products because I'm trying to, I love retinol, retinol, the daily dose serum from Kills, but apparently I can't use retinol like all the time because look, I don't have wrinkles, so I don't really need to put, I don't need to overdo it with the retinol product and the serum. Okay. I'm talking too much, but you know, you just know yourself. So I'm just balancing it out, but the skin and the complexion has been getting better. The even tone. You know, Amanda will say all day, girl, she'll be like, child, your skin is fine. Like, you got good genes. Stop acting like a skin problem. Listen, that's true. But maintenance is key, okay? Because we see some people with some good skin, but they smoked and drank their way through and coughed and caffeine and not slept their way through and just let those good genes just go to side, go to slide. Not my reality. Not going to be my case. When I turned 30, I knew, okay, it's time to maintain because... Look, I look at my mom, I look at my parents, I look at my, my family. We got some good skincare. We got some good genes. I've been blessed. So once I turned 30, I said, okay, it's time for me to not just think that I could be like I was in my 20s and just sleep on pillows and skip, keep it up with math. You know, I can, you know, I'm getting serious about it. So shout out to good skincare, shout out to good genes, yada, yada, yada. So... This week, um, this weekend, I went on a really great time. I had went to Westchester, which is random, right? Why would I go to Westchester, PA? Well, Mr. Johnson, I've been thinking, like, doing these, like, fun, like, okay, day dates where it's not, like, 
okay, we're always in Philly. We go to some restaurant downtown, yada, 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 which is fun. But, like, there's days that both of us don't have too much on our schedules. And we're like, ooh, what's nearby Philadelphia? What's, like, we could drive out, be away from folks, be away from the paparazzi. But be away from folks and be able to just be new and feel new and kind of go out and not be bothered for the most part. Even though we went out and somebody spotted me and it was not awkward. They were cool. They were nice. But it's like sometimes I want to. Because listen, we listen. I'm at that point where if I go anywhere in Philly and like my boys know, it, it literally happened the night. My other homie, Mandy, we was out having dinner and we got our dinner paid for. But somebody like just kind of came up and talked to us the whole night and was like, uh, and it was good conversation, but it was just kind of like, damn, I was trying to, but it worked out. It was fine. It was no problems. And our meal was comped, but it's just like, sometimes I just want to be with my people and I try not to be like, fuck off. Sometimes I don't want to say fuck off, but then if you do that, then it becomes who Ernest is, you know, he's not that nice in person. He's funny acting person. I kind of do that to people too. So I'm like, I don't want that to be the thing, but at the same time, it's like, so we have found ways to tell people politely. So I found ways. I'm like, I always do what I call the, oh, well, thank you so much. I have to go to this really quick. I'm sorry, but it was nice to meet you. And kind of keep it like that. Keep it going to keep that. Like, just to be able to say thank you, but then make it known. Hey, I had something coming up. I'm actually trying to have a conversation with my friend, but it was really nice talking to you. And sometimes I would say nine out of ten people will say, oh, oh sure, sure, sure. Thank you. But you always get that special one or two or three and that, that one out of ten that's going to always say, oh, sure, no problem. Well, 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 it was great talking to you. Well, also, I want to ask you this. <coughs> Fuck off. That's how I feel sometimes. Like, just stop it. Be ma- Have manners. Like, I have moments where I'm like, you're like, I think it's weird we got a point where you're having a conversation with somebody and you're talking like 99% of the time. And the other person that you're talking to is like nodding and they're not keep, they're not trying to prolong the conversation because they really don't want to have the conversation. Why don't people pick up social cues? So it is, I'm learning the dance. I'm learning the art of telling people, thank you, but I like to, I I have to, I want to, you know, I'm here. I'm trying to, you know, and, and do in that way. Yeah. So that's what I've been working on. One of my friends, Josh, We're working on him with that because it happens to him sometimes too, which he's doing some good work, by the way. He has, um, he was on Fox 29 promoting the Eagles with, you know, you know, food places and recommendation for food. And he was killing it. He had a blazer on with an Eagle shirt. Loved it. Loved how he kept it like semi-professional. That's what I would have done. Um, and he just killed it on TV. He has, he has a, a talent for TV. He's very, you know, sometimes I think sometimes he's like, oh, you know, I'm just having fun. Nah, he needs to have more TV appearances. He's got this, like, charm and this this presence with it. Um, But sometimes he goes out and a bunch of people, these influencers will come up and talk to him. And he also, like, tries to be courteous and nice. But I'm learning. I see it when it happens to other people. I'm like, well, what would I have done in that situation? So now I'm doing what I think other people should do in those situations. But we're all getting adjusted to that kind of fame and adjusting to that and, and understanding the balances of it all. But people just be doing the most. I'm telling myself, was I like that? To do? Am I like that? I try not to be. I try. 
I think when I met my idols or my people I thought were great people, um, I always was just like, I would get my compliment and say how I felt. And then, you know, if they would be willing to take a photo, which they, they were, I would do that, be happy and get the fuck out the way. I'd be like, mission accomplished. Because you know people got things to do. Especially, you can't assume that people's time was your time. And there's some people who just don't have those social skills. They want to dump on you. Emotionally dump on you. Like, they just want to just spill. Am I emotionally dumping right now? <laughs> well, it's my podcast. Y'all y'all subscribe to listen to this. But, like, there are people that, that, that dump. And it's just like, give it a rest. But you still try to, you know, show some level of uh, gratitude. So, we went out to Westchester. We went to um, the Uptown Theater where we saw a really great play by Katori Hall. And y'all should know who Katori Hall is. Katori Hall is an incredible Tony-nominated playwright. Um, she wrote the play to um, Tina, the Broadway musical. She also wrote the... She also is the creator of P-Valley, which is on Stars. But before P-Valley, before Tina Turner the musical, she wrote a really great play that was on Broadway called The Mountaintop. Woo! It initially was on Broadway and it starred Angela Bassett and Samuel L. Jackson. Now this show has been off Broadway since, and this is like in the early 2000s, I think in 2010 it came out. Um, and it was a great play, had a moment on Broadway, but it has since been redone and there's been several revivals um since then um but it's a great show um it came actually it premiered in 2009 and it's it's just have done wonderful things a lot of people really love the show it had some really great um moments people have picked up on the show it's had some great performances it, it it really did well um you know i had a moment and other theater companies have picked it up and other actors have you know performed it and things like that it premiered on broadway in 2011 so i do remember this um samuel jackson made his broadway debut playing martin Luther king jr and angela bassett was his co-star so samuel jackson and angela bassett you know these are icons they were on the broadway show it came out in 2009 and a lot of people, um, you know, thought it was incredible. The production won the Olivier for Best New Play Award. Um, and it was nominated for other awards as well. Didn't get any Tony Awards. It was only two. It's, the show is, in, is, is subversive as hell in a good way. And if you know Katori Hall's work, if you've seen some of her previous work, I mean, seen the musical or even... P Valley, you know that the thing about her that's incredible is that she's very raw, subversive, gutty, provocative, but then she also has this very futuristic, Afro-futuristic, uh, Afro um, like, tone to her plays. So I don't want to tell the show, because it's still running right now at Uptown in Westchester. Get your tickets now. Go see it. It's incredible. Um, tickets are available there. But Mr. Johnson and I saw it. Love the love, love the play. It, it's 90 minutes, no intermission. Um, it goes straight through. But it's so, so good. There's a really cool plot twist. And when the plot twist happens, you're just like, oh, my God. It's great. It's probably the best, like, 
material that's non-biographical that I've seen that portrays Dr. King. It's historical fiction. I think that's the best way to describe it. It's like historical fiction where there is some history there and there's some truth there, but it's historical fiction at its finest. It's a very, like I said, I, I get the best way to describe it is subversive. Um, the, pre, the actors playing the characters, Dr. King and the other character, I won't get into who the other character is because that might tell too much of the plot, but it is, it's good. It's good. And you think you know, like you watch the, fir- you watch the first 30 minutes of the play and you think you know where it's going. And then there's this weird 180. And then you're just like, oh my God. And it just changes the entire direction of the play in a very cool, provocative, imaginative way. And I've never been, I mean, it was emotionally touching. Like I, yeah, it was just so good. It was just, it just made me think of things. It just, you walk away very like uplifted in a way that you wouldn't think you would because of the nature of it. But I don't know. I felt all types of feelings watching it and um, highly recommend it. It's great theater. And yeah, it was dope. So after that, um, we went to um, Stove and Tap, which was this restaurant in Westchester. We took the pictures of the food. It was fabulous food. Very affordable, not super expensive and pricey. It was a cute little Westchester little day trip, like a like little little date. It was like eh, about forty minutes away from Philly where we lived, and we went and went to a play, had a cute dinner. We went to the bar downstairs, which was called the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, which is connected to Stoven's Tap, which is interesting. The it's yes, the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, which is like the Dick Tracy film with Clint Eastwood. Yes, that good, bad, and ugly. So they have a bar that's under um, the stove and tap. And I, they call good, bad, ugly GB, GBU, um, which is the reference to good, bad, ugly. Um, and it's under it's under there. But it's like not a back. The bar downstairs is not like some hole in the wall rinky ding. What I loved about the Westchester food scene and just the look of the place in Westchester Everything is super clean and neat. It's very suburban-like, but I appreciate how clean and neat things were. And, you know, Philly just gets a little too comfortable. You can definitely tell why people like like suburbs. I don't think I could live anywhere like that. I don't know. I just feel like it's just kind of like, this is too neighborhoody. But it was fun as like a very, sub, sub I don't know, like some very like, kismet experience, like, it's nostalgic. It's like very like, it's cute for a day, but I don't would not want this to be my regular regular life because it felt provincial. But it's cute for travel, but not cute for like, oh, I'm living here every single day. I feel like, yeah. But it was nice. It was nice, and the food was good, and the and the service was very good too. People were very friendly, and there was Westchester students that were servers at the restaurants. They were all nice. They had big dreams. So I, I did appreciate that much of it. It was very memorable in that way. Mm. So I guess we'll talk about Super Bowl before we get into the hot topics, which is the Super Bowl. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Super Bowl. I mean, y'all know I hate the NFL. 
So it was really the Rihanna concert for me. But, you know, Mr. Johnson, Joe, Amanda, they wanted, they wanted to get together and do some things. So we did have a cute little Rihanna concert tailgate at the house. Um, Bonchon wings, which were great. We ordered like 50 of them, which was enough for us. We didn't eat them all. We weren't that greedy, y'all. But they were good. They were perfect. It was a perfect amount. Uh, Mr. Johnson made this really great kale salad, which was just, oh, such a great salad. Um, we had fries, crinkly fries. And we had rosé, Moet, Moet Mo, rosé. And he made a really great cocktail, which I think it was trying to be an Eagles themed cocktail. Because it was like a lavender lemonade, but he added matcha tea powder so it could have that go Eagles green thing. And um, it was good. We had a good like tailgate they watched the game i watched it with them i was like the antagonist contrarian of the group they were all like rooting for the eagles and i was being a contrarian um <clears throat> no i was not rooting for the eagles i really wasn't okay y'all gonna love me regardless because at the end of the day this is fucking football and cte is nothing to play with nor is domestic violence so i don't give a fuck about the nfl as many people said last night i don't have a dog in this race liars they all had a dog in the race but i didn't have a dog in the race for real for real okay not a dog or underdog clearly um i didn't have a dog in the race my whole thing was i low-key didn't want the eagles to win because i didn't want to deal with the damnness of them tearing up the property in the community look at me sound like karen that's what y'all get y'all like to hear that Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I didn't want them tearing down the city. I, I just didn't want to go downstairs, down the city, and it's still, like, pissed tomorrow morning. I didn't want to hear deal with the parade and all the ratchery of all of that caucasity in the streets. I didn't want to deal with it. I didn't like it, no. I was over it. I was annoyed. I was annoyed with all this Eagles fever. I was annoyed with how much money was being spent. I kept thinking to myself, goodness, if we could put this much energy into our schools, like, if we could care about, give a fuck about public education like this, if we could rally behind more important things that are happening, Happening in the city that should be important to us like our kids and and the schools and you know people getting vaccinations because we still in a fucking pandemic i don't know i just didn't care and i can say that now because we fucking lost well we didn't lose they lost i didn't i didn't fucking lose i kept my look i won my hundred dollars but i i was not at all enthusiastic i was over it. i was annoyed all the green hot dogs and the buns and shit like this is what we care about these are our priorities Philadelphia, like asbestos in fucking schools, uh, over the top gun violence rate that is being happening by pushing subsiding redlining and the people who don't live here, who don't pay their fair share in taxes, get to come drive in our city, tear our city down. And then only time they give a fuck the police do is when it's black people doing it for Black Lives Matter. But any other time it's OK, grease those fucking poles and slide down them like five dollar strippers. I'm over it. I don't care about the damn game. I'm so happy this shit is over. Yes, that's right. Pack that shit the fuck up. And get the fuck back to work tomorrow. And give a fuck about these kids. And give a fuck about these schools. And give a fuck about these streets. And the people that do that already, well, guess what? Get your other friends, too, that can show up and make time to show up to a game, get drunk, get hotel reservations, boost the economy for this shit, but don't give a fuck about boosting any other time. And honestly, this is not a lecture for black people. I get it, black folks. We always show up and do what we got to do. But unfortunately, we live in a city that will kill us if we showed up for anything else but eagles in the same fucking way. Let's keep it 100.
I don't care. I don't care about the game. I'm happy that news coverage is going to go back to covering this goddamn Merrill's race. Because it seemed like everybody wanted to talk about a thousand different stupid stories about the Eagles. Hot dogs, tailgates, t-shirts, stupid nasty cheesesteaks that are named after Jalen Hurts. It's just, it was just like, ugh. Yes, that's how I really feel. Now I feel like I'm Roseanne Barr. You did, yeah. That's how I feel. Over it. Just over it. It was just so much. Ugh, the gross capitalism of it all. Like, everything was a shirt and makeup and hair. All this for a fucking football game. Like, you know, you know, I'll say this. You got the world city. Like, Phillies just keep losing everything. Phillies lost the damn, what, the soccer shit. Lost the, the, the baseball. Now they done lost the football. Just taking all the L's. It's what they deserve. This city... That's what you do. You don't deserve to have nice things when you don't do nice things otherwise. You tear down a city. You don't deserve to win a championship if you're going to be jerks, if you're going to be mean to black journalists that want to raise consciousness. Yes, I'm being fucking petty, but petty is what petty does. And you know what? Fucking finally, because look at all the things that we have to deal with on a regular basis. All this damn coverage. You don't know what it felt like to just see people just want to talk about football shit all fucking week. And we never have this enthusiasm for other real pressing issues. It's always, wait for this, wait for this, wait for this. I don't fucking care. Those players get CTE. They they get hurt. We're in a league that don't give a fuck about the black players like they should, or any of those players' safety for that much. You know, we know the numbers. We know what they do. And we just get complicit because we want to see a win. I don't know. I just, I hate it. I hate it. And I, and I, I just, I just know because I, I, the issue is, and the truth is, and the real naked truth is, is that what I know is that for whatever that one week or two weeks of joy that we had about the Super Bowl, these people, and I'm going to say these people, because we know who these people are. They're going to go back to not giving a fuck about us. And we know who us are. And they're going to go back and they're not going to think about our joy, our protection, our safety. They're going to be mad at something and they're going to go back to being who they were before all of this. Like they did in 2020. Mm. And maybe some people want to be intoxicated and enjoy or high morale for a small period of time. I get it. The world is bleak at times. It can get frustrating. But the truth of the matter is, is that this temporary instant gratification we seek to numb our frustrations and our pain from the existential dread of what we see and we deal with on a regular basis is not the medicine that I want to subscribe to or prescribe to, to be honest. It's not. You can only wear rose-colored glasses for so long. Before you get to a point where you realize that's not even working. And excuse me, that for me, they don't work as long because I'm a black queer millennial. So I don't have to wear them. But who gets to wear the rose colored glasses longer to avoid the realities? It's definitely not black women. Definitely not black queer women or transgender women for that matter. But some people can. They can have the luxury of keeping them on a little longer than the rest of us. Cishead black men. 
But the rest of us, it's not the same. And so, yeah, I wasn't hype about this game or any of it. But I was hyped about Rihanna. And I want to talk about Rihanna. Well, before I talk about Rihanna, okay, let's talk about some of those pre-shows. Shirley Ralph was fun. I ended up watching. I didn't watch it on TV. I didn't watch her performance on TV because they didn't really... I guess they aired it, but they aired it so early that it wasn't a part of, like, the national anthem and the, you know, other portion of America the Beautiful. Babyface was all right. He wasn't horrible. It was memorable, I guess. The national anthem, I mean, it's okay, I guess, you know. Just, I right. Shirley Ralph was Shirley Ralphing, which isn't a bad thing. She just going to let you know that she was nominated for a Tony and she wants you to hear those vocals and she wants the thespianship to go with it. She definitely put on the show and we knew that was going to happen. Um, now to Rihanna and her performance. <sighs> so when you find, first of all, let me just start off by putting a disclaimer. My top three all-time favorite Super Bowl halftime performances is number one, Prince, because seriously, go watch it yourself. Hands down, the greatest Super Bowl performance of all time is Prince, period. The second is Beyonce. I mean, again, watch that performance. Iconic. And the third is YouTube. And you have to understand when that, that performance happened. It was in 2020. It was in, not 2020. It was in 2002, right after 9-11. And if you go watch that performance and the nature of it, the context of it. And when U2, U2, first of all, was at their, like, their, one of their highest heights. Um, this was after Beautiful Day album, which Beautiful Day is my favorite song um, of all time. One of my, like, Beautiful Day is, like, one of my favorite songs ever. Love that song. Love that album. You Can't Take It With You, I think the album is called. All the Things You you Can't Take With You. One of it. I love the album, though, right? So this album had came out. U2 had reinvented itself, made itself a different direction, which, in my opinion, that direction with sound began to leave the foundation for how we have Coldplay. But I'll save that conversation for another day. Um, of course, my favorite album from them is how... To dismantle an atomic bomb, which won the Grammy for album of the year. Yeah, U2 is that that group. I know people think they're corny now, whatever. Maybe now their music is very, you know, whatever. But they were hitting hard in the early 2000s. Like U2's grab on the culture in the early 2000s is a, is a case study because it re it reinvigorated rock before rock fell apart because rock isn't the same anymore. Um, but like this was like the resurrection. Like you get Coldplay that's doing some really good soft rock. Um, Green Day comes back and really, really rocks out the house. Foo Fighters are still pushing through, but Foo Fighters resurrect in a different way at this time. I mean, everybody in rock was just really rocking, and it was some good rock music in the early 2000s. And you know, it begins to fade, but I love Foo Fighters. Love, love, love Foo Fighters. Green Day album, American Idiot, and the album after that was pretty good. So Green Day is, you know, they're cool. Um, U2, Immaculate. Coldplay, dope. Kings of Leon had a moment, too. Like, there was all this, like, new wave of rock that kind of came out 
um, Radio Kid. There's a lot of good stuff. The, the Arcade Fire. Like, it was just a lot of good stuff that um, Radiohead, I think it was. It was Radiohead? Yeah. It was like Kid A, that album. Like, it was a lot of good music that was out, like, in that, like, before 2010s that just was out. And U2, I believe, really pushed that palpability again in people's taste. But the pop, the rock had to be reimagined in a way that wasn't so grungy and more mainstream and people think that led to the death of rock but i feel like it was like rock's last good who i robbed before it just kind of collapsed the white stripes jack white like that was the moment man oh goodness see i could write a thousand books i can be on my documentaries but anyway i just i'm thinking i'm going in nostalgia right now because that was a time like that that 2000 to 2010 the way that rock was that was just that was great music. Somebody's going to say they disagree and they miss the 90s and Nirvana. I know. I get it. But this was, for me as a black person, this kind of rock for me as a young black person was what I remember. I took for me because I felt like the earlier rock just wasn't for me. Now, of course, Hendrix had influence over it. But this is, you know, outside of Black Cat with Janet in the 90s, this gay black guy don't know nothing about any rock, per, you know, in that range. I mean, one could argue Prince was a rock star in his own right. But anywho, I digress. Um, U2's performance in, 20, in 2002 is a great Super Bowl show. Go back and watch it. Understand the 9-11 context and the ending where Bono shows the shirt with the American flag. on. Like, Just go back. It's a great show. Number four, I would say Madonna. I know people have thoughts about Madonna, but I really appreciate that Madonna performance. It is definitely top tier, okay, as far as the production and the set. Now, Rihanna, you know, initially, I was like, this is a little, it wasn't bad. Because Rihanna doesn't do bad. Rihanna, well, <laughs> I don't think Rihanna does bad. I think it was, people said it was underwhelming, at first glance, but I watched it four times. And what you find out, what you know, what we all know now, is Rihanna is pregnant. It's official. Her, her rep confirmed it right after she got off the stage. Her show was an opportunity for her to announce her second pregnancy. And in spite of everything, she's pregnant. Now, there was speculation for the past several weeks that her performance and everything was seeming to be a little slow. There was speculation that she might drop out. There was a couple of whispers about the nature of the performance. And I was getting a little worried. Like, was she doing rehearsals? Was rehearsals happening? It just seemed like a lot of suspicious things. And Rihanna loves to wear baggy clothes. So she did the interview. She did these things. And she was just very, you know, glowy. And I was like, something's going on. And where are the special guests? Where does, and I was just wondering. But, you know... I know that in the past, Rihanna has had, you know, she would gain weight and people would think she's pregnant. And I was like, look, look, don't be fat phobic. Like, she's, don't come for my girl. My girl likes to eat. She chilling. Leave her the fuck alone. But no, she was pregnant. And I was in my mind thinking, look, she may have a little bit, like, leave her alone. Rihanna gonna, you know, because she, she's had moments. But she was pregnant. And knowing that while watching the performance... I find the entire performance so mesmerizing, such a shocker. How committed 
but also how much we don't deserve her in some ways. But just like, damn, how beautiful it was that she, in spite of that, like most people pregnant, like what was she doing? Taking wild risks. Like she was up in the air most of the time. She was performing on a mic. And so you almost are like, in the beginning, people were critical of her performances. Like, people were like, she was fucking pregnant. It's like, well, damn, that's true. But then everyone was like, well, why the fuck was she on stage pregnant like that? Like, but she just, I mean, she's just wonderful. She's wonderful. She's wonderful. You can't say anything bad about Rihanna to me like that after that performance. I mean, uh, just just heartwarming. Just such a great performance um, in that way. Very memorable, right? She had her love on top moments, as girls say. But now that we can, you know, get on with the pleasantries and get into the real tea, let me just say this. Motherfucking ASAP Rocky. If you don't get your shit snipped, okay, I need him neutered immediately. Um, let me tell you something, ASAP. You're not about to offset this. First of all, Offset got married, okay? So my girl Riri has no ring. And maybe she don't want to be married to you. And if she do, she'll get a prenup because I know what you're doing, okay? No music from you. No music no one's to hear from you. Okay, at least Offset has some music and some projects. But I know what these men are doing. All this getting the girl knocked up, do da da Listen. Rihanna has one more great album in her. I know she gave us like six consecutive hits back to back to back to back to back to back. And, you know, we're going through it because I remember my friend Amanda was like, she didn't take a break. All these albums back to back. Now how we fucking feel. She's got one more great album in her at least. A tour. Look, Rihanna has always been weird about her tours. But we could maybe get a couple of hot cities. But God damn it. Like, come on. But I, but you know, at the end of the day, I know that there's a part of me that knows that Rihanna having this baby was a choice. It was a choice, right? She's her birthday is on February twentieth, so you know she is a, um, you know she is. I, I was saying Aquarius. She's thirty four. She'll be thirty five. ASAP. His birthday, he's a Libra. Mm, 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 mm. We were just talking about Libras, how charming they are. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. The listen. Yeah. Mm, mm, mm. I'm an Aquarius. No, I'm a Libra married to an Aquarius. Um, so I know how we do. This explains a lot. Because Aquariuses are. Okay, so she's a Pisces. Aquarius is from. January 20th to February 18th. So Rihanna is a Pisces. Okay. But she's a cusp because she's the 20th. So she's like an early. Okay. She's cuspy though. But my husband is an Aquarius and I'm a Libra. Um, so they say that we're actually Aquariuses are um, compatible with Libras. So that makes a lot of sense. And Libras are compatible with um, with Aquariuses and Geminis, which are interesting. Um, <laughs> but no, that's that says a lot. So he's a Libra out here cutting up. Let's just say that. Um, yes. They said a Libra and an Aquarius are considered one of the best matches among all-star signs. 
interesting. Very interesting. Mm, 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 mm. Mm. They said we cannot, Libras cannot get, cannot marry Virgos. Sorry, Beyonce. That makes a lot of sense. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I can date air signs. So, yeah. My air sign is Gemini. That is dope. And Aquariuses also. Um, so those are the airy signs because we the same area languages. So look at that. Aquariuses and I connect. But anywho, I said all this to say, ASAP needs to be neutered. I am not here for the fact that we were so close, y'all. Real Rihanna fans, look, we're happy. I'm happy she's pregnant. I hope she has a healthy pregnancy. She's about to be 35. You know, I hope her well. She had her first baby, and now she's about to have her next baby. So, you know, Rihanna did always say she wouldn't have a lot of kids. I just thought that was going to be afterwards. And I'm not really serious. I mean, I wish her the best. But, like, I'm just having a selfish moment. And it's not serious. But, like, oh, my goodness. I remember when I was waiting for that second album from Cardi, which at this point... We're not going to talk about this second album from Cardi. I guess it's going to come this year. But I'm just going to say this. If Cardi's new album does not come this year, I'm really going to have some questions. Because it's starting to feel like she's having, I don't want to call it a sophomore slump, but there is this fear. And I don't know what the fear, I mean, I guess the fear is like, Oh, I'm scared my second album is not going to be good as my first. Listen. You got to figure it out. You got to trust your product. But by this time, you would have been on your third album if the second album was, you know, was lukewarm. But the fact that we didn't got an album from Beyonce. We didn't got an album from Lizzo. Two albums from Lizzo and Lil Nas X and Billie Eilish. And your album have yet to come out with anything. You have yet to come out with anything since your first big album, which came out. Because I want to get... It's been four years? Invasion of... Invade... Well, hold on. It's... Oh. I want to be... I want to be accurate. That album came out 2018. April 6th. That was going to be five years. We haven't had a new Cardi B album in five years. It's giving Lauren Hill slightly. And I mean, we're not going to talk about Normani. I have just emotionally have given up on Normani. I'm happy that Chloe is dropping an album coming out in March. These songs might be short. But at least the girl has given us a project. She's given us visuals. She's given us looks. She's trying to put something out. But we need to look into some of this. Like our faves, some of these artists, they're just not putting out music as much. But they're still in the conversation. But not in the conversation for the things that we would want them to be. It's just it's just interesting. I will say that. I just, I just want my faves to just move on. But anywho, um, Rihanna's performance with the pregnancy in consideration was pretty solid. I'll give it an 8 out of 10. I'm being generous, but I'll give it an 8 out of 10. I love the hits. 
thought the hits were great. Loved that she did that. Loved the outfits. Paid homage to Andre Leon's Halley with the the red burgundy number, which was very fashion forward. I loved how futuristic her whole getup was. I appreciate the simplicity of the set. Recognizing that she was pregnant, I can understand. I can understand why she did not do these ridiculous fireworks and acrobats because that's a very different um, experience, right? To do a performance like that. What I will also say is, please stop comparing her to Beyonce, people. Like, stop comparing her. Why is it that the default is to compare another black woman to another black woman when it comes specifically to the art? Like, just stop. Like, Rihanna is who she is. Beyonce is who she is. You know, I didn't see people comparing Prince and Michael Jackson like every fucking five seconds. Maybe I was in a different world. I don't recall Janet Jackson being compared all the time. If you was to compare Whitney Houston to Janet Jackson, you'd be a dumbass. And that's how I feel when I see people compare Beyonce to Rihanna because Rihanna is definitely in a more Janet Jackson territory when it comes to like, you know, pop and vocal ability. I mean, choreography, you know, Janet definitely has a little bit more. But that's more of her terrain in that, like, pop performance era. And I just hate that everyone thinks that in order for you to be a great artist, you have to be like Michael Jackson or Beyonce or whatever. I think there's room for everybody to be their own person. And I just feel like it gets really tired when people just be like, oh, well, it's not Beyonce, though. Well, goddamn it, it's not. And maybe that's not what I want to hear. I, I've said this in my last episodes. I'll say it again. When I see people on Twitter making those comparisons, I'm just like, you're perpetuating the same anti-black woman misogynoir that you're supposed to be trying to go against. To me, it's a blessing that two black women are at the zenith of their careers in different ways, right? Re- Beyonce is in her early 40s, and she's basically finding her curve and in in, in, in establishing her sunset as an artist has been in the game for over 25 years. Rihanna is an artist that in spite of every obstacle and and hardship thrown her way as a solo artist her entire career, for nearly 20 years, she has been able to create her own mark in music history, her own mark as a female entrepreneur in pop music, and has been able to establish a brand that has allowed her not to be another artist's shadow. That's what makes her great to me. Because for all the other people that you think have great vocals and great this and great that, a lot of them had to play second fiddle and be on somebody's shadow. What makes Rihanna awesome is that in an industry that wanted to create more black women to be like her now peer, she created her own lane that now other black girls in music can ascribe to do as well. That you could go two different routes. And that's what I loved about the women in the 90s. Because you could be the Mariah Carey, you could be a Whitney, or you could be a Janet. You had options. And the white women had their options. You could be Shania Twain, you could be Celine Dion, you could be Britney. Like, everybody had their lanes. Mariah, Mary J. Blige, Aaliyah, Brandy, They all had their lanes and everybody could eat and everybody could could succeed. And people could say things like, I'm going to the Mary J. Blige concert. I'm going to also go to the Leah concert in three months. Nobody was like, 
oh, I'm going to Beyonce's show only. I can't. If I, like, somehow, magically, if you go to someone else's, then that's a negative. Like, what kind of shit is that? Like, we can enjoy various different artists, and they can mean different things to us. And so I just feel like some people are just very biopic. I look at some of the stuff on the internet. They were showing pictures of Beyonce leaning in a chair during her Grammy's performance while pregnant and comparing it to Rihanna's performance. I was like, why is that, like, ugh. I don't know. It's just tacky. You can love your fave. Your fave is going to win. Everybody's fave is going to win their own way. But I just hate that it happens with black women. Like, I get that people like to do the whole Taylor Swift comparison to Beyonce. But I'm like, why are you comparing a, like, early 30s-year-old artist to a woman in her 40s who definitely should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Like, you're actually cheapening your brand by comparing a lesser brand by default to another brand. You're actually boosting the other brand by acting like the other brand is in the same conversation. Just another way of looking at it. I know my lanes of artists. I'm never going to talk about certain people in the same conversation unless we're talking about specific things like maybe uh, tour sales or tours, like different tours things. But like, I think people who try so hard to like compare artists to artists it's just weird because you have to factor in race. You have to factor in the type of music people are performing. You have to do all of those things. Like, you know, there's a reason why Beyonce doesn't get on the charts aggressively as some of her pop predecessors. Me and Jamarcus were having a good conversation about music artists. And one of the, thing that we, one of the things that he brought up that I also agree with is that Beyonce's making music for grown folks. Those songs, those beats, those sounds, yes, Break My Heart was a cool crossover pop hit, but a lot of those songs that Beyonce makes, some of those songs are very black, very intentional for a certain level of adulthood, and that means, as a default, it's not going to appeal to certain types of age groups and people. And that doesn't mean the song isn't good or it's not popping, it's just that if you're expecting Beyonce to have the, the same type of post on the culture as the young, the young fans she had when she did Single Ladies back in the day, that Nickelodeon crowd that loved Single Ladies from her and Halo is not the same crowd that's going to like, you know, Plastic on the Sofa and Virgo's Groove. It's just not the same group. And that doesn't mean the music isn't good anymore. It just means the music has matured to a level where the type of audiences she has likes them. This happens to every artist that has a long-ass career, right? Like Madonna, that, that's, people criticize Madonna all the time, but, say, but that was Madonna's problem at some point in time, where Madonna was trying so hard to make music that was still trying to get the younger audiences, and then she looked silly doing that. And eventually she had to hang that up and keep going forward. Janet, you know, she had a point where she made music that could still lure, but then she had to grow up and just make music that fed into the specific interests of her fan base. And those older fans are now maturing and growing up with her. So I'm growing up with Beyonce. I'm going on that journey as she evolves. I'm evolving too. My tastes are matching her tastes. Not all of your favorite artists want to be like Drake and make the same music for young kids and younger people that he shouldn't be in the DMs with, but that's another story for another day. 
he should you should be growing and evolving. One artist that I really appreciate that do that really well is Kendrick Lamar. Like Kendrick Lamar makes his music and he grows up with his music and his fans grow up with him. Even her husband, right? Jay, you know, Jay-Z. Jay-Z's music has definitely taken some different upward bounds. Like this man is talking about Picassos and cigars and shit. Like, okay, young people might appreciate Jay, but a lot of his his followers and interests are some of them are black capitalists, but also their uncles. Like he's making music for uncles that are bald, that, you know, got some money in stock and a couple of them like to go golfing and think they know what the fuck they're doing with a putt. He's making music for, 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 for uncles that think that they are on top of the world and think that they're Scarface. These men are watching Scarface. Scarface is their favorite movie. They're watching The Godfather. They eat their steak medium well and think that they're sophisticated for doing so. They go to cigar bars. They really don't go abroad unless they're going to some tropical island, but they're never going to go anywhere really sophisticated. They are wearing loosely buttoned shirts. They're going to Martha's Vineyard. They're spending money on dumb shit so they can say they're doing it. They're buying Versace, you know, um, robes. They're thinking in their head, they're, they're, you know, P. Diddy, but they're reading books by Steve Harvey. They're wearing cologne that is perfume, strong-ass cologne that's going to, like, last forever on their skin. Um, they do manicures and pedicures sometimes, but only if their girlfriend likes it. They're pretty much maybe married or not married. If they are married, they're married to someone really, really sophisticated and smart. If they're not, they're, they're dang a young-ass girl old enough to be their daughter's age. That is, of course, probably somewhere in college somewhere. There's a certain class of audience Jay-Z's appealing to. And in addition to those crowds, he also is appealing to the grimy street hustler, construction worker dude that is aspiring to be rich but never will be Jay-Z rich but thinks he can. Right? That's his audience. That's Jay-Z's audience. And those people will go to his concerts. They will rap those lyrics. They will know him by heart. And, of course, let's not forget the other side of Jay-Z. Jay-Z got that white fan base of a bunch of, like, nerdy, geeky-ass, college white white guys with MBAs that rap his lyrics and think they can be just like him, even though they're white. And a lot of them are probably, you know, in Wall Street. And a lot of them are probably dudes that will not say the N-word from their black friends, but when the when the windows are down, they're rapping that stuffing in their every last in life. And that's how they got exposed to Kanye. And that's why they like they still like Kanye in spite of his fuckery. Yeah, he's got that base of white guys too. Okay? That's him. Like that's his crowd. Jay-Z's not trying to appeal to 20 somethings. I mean, there are 20 somethings that respect him, but he understands who his music is for. Okay? He's his music is for black men with American Express cards. And white guys who like black men with American Express cards. <laughs> Am I wrong? I mean, let's be real. Beyonce, Beyonce's crowd is becoming more and more of black women and white women who like black women. And these are women who have the ability to drop $300,000, dollars $800,000, $800,000 on tickets for her shows. And then she got the black girls who followed her career in their 30s that wish they had that money but will do goddamn anything to catch that money to support her and then she's got the gays all of them okay don't she's got the gays and then she's got you know a couple of young girls whose parents play the music and those young girls listen to that music because their mothers listen to the music so there's that cross-generational love that's her crowd her crowd are women who like michelle obama 
that's her crowd. If you like Michelle Obama, chances are you like Beyonce. And if you don't like Beyonce, then it's because either A, well, let me be respectful. I'll just say this. It's the it's the millennial, it is the millennial Gen Xer crowd that likes Michelle Obama. Those are people like Beyonce. And Beyonce is selling tickets to that crowd. And that crowd is huge, okay? Because that crowd includes the Kerry Washington types, the Viola Davis types. That crowd is them. And they're buying tickets to Beyonce shows. They're the reason why a lot of us can't get those Beyonce tickets. Because that, you know, Essence Festival group of women, they're buying up the Beyonce tickets. That's why it's hard for some of y'all to get them. Because that's the crowd Beyonce is now in in lineage with. And those are the people that are buying those tickets. These are women who are corporate. They're capitalists like her. They're also women who have a lot of disposable income or have husbands that do. And they're the ones buying those tickets in bulk. And then a couple of like, you know, younger working professional black women who love Beyonce as a motivational force. They're getting tickets from jobs or friends or they're going in debt to, to buy tickets. That's her crowd. That's her audience. Those people are the people who are loyal fans that will rock with her to the rest of her days. Those people are not running to YouTube to watch her music videos. Some of them might, but not everybody. But a lot of those people are folks that's just like, look, when the album drops, we're buying the album. She will always chart number one with her albums. And they're the ones who are going to buy tour tickets. She's going to always have the highest selling tour tickets. That's, that's the crowd. That's the crowd. And that's a good crowd. That's a loyal crowd. That's the type of crowd that sees that sees boys to men 25 years later at Philly packed and will get their roses and cry and scream all night. That's the kind of energy that these people will be for the rest of their lives. Don't compare it to a pop artist. Because Justin Timberlake can't say the same. I mean, he's got his fans. But he can't even tour right now because the energy's not there for him. Some of these artists that we look at that are hot now, they won't be that hot down the road. Harry Styles in 15, 20 years will not have anyone chasing after him. He will be like the Durant. Let me let me not throw that shade. But there are some artists that just will not have that same following. They are going to have a moment now and we'll forget about them later. Let's think about artists like that, that were just super hot on the charts. But can they do what they do now? I know a few. I'm not going to name them right now. I ain't going to throw them shots. But think about some of them artists that we grew up on listening to that today, it just wouldn't be the same. Like, is Leona Lewis going to be selling tickets like that nowadays? No. She might get a, t- she might get a show at City Winery, but Leona Lewis ain't going to be out here like that. Jordan Sparks? I rest my case. So... Long story short, Rihanna did what Rihanna had to do. We're not going to get a new album anytime soon. The rumors of a new album was a moment in time. It looks like it's a wrinkle in time. I'm over it. Hope she wins the Oscar for Best Original Song for Wake Me Up. I know the internet is completely being upset, but... I will say, shout out to Rihanna for doing 14 minutes of all hits, and all of them songs were fire. And it was so many hits, and 
yeah, yeah, I'm going to say that, you know, um, and we love her. And everyone's saying that Rihanna's farewell performance in Super Bowl was stellar. Um, you know, she gave us one last performance. She gave me the pussy pat, the little iconic pussy pat. But, you know, Rihanna's like, look, I got things to sell. And it's obvious what's happening. So, love her. You know. Love her. So, yeah. Um, so, in other news, <laughs> I want to talk about this balloon situation. Everybody's been hitting me about what's going on with these missiles and this balloon stuff. I mean, I followed that, like, literally there's this high-altitude object that got shot down on Sunday. Um, this one was around Lake Huron um, in Michigan. Um, and it's been a, there's been a string of this type of stuff. It was shot down by a U.S. military aircraft. Um, now, a senior administrator said that Biden directed that the object be shot down out of an abundance of caution at the recommendation of military leaders. But like this has been going on. Like this is like a, it's a octagonal structure. It's unmanned. It's traveling. They said twenty thousand feet in the air. There's no indication of surveillance capabilities. Like no one knows what it is. But each is different and difficult exactly to identify is what they're saying about it. But the weird thing is they're saying that the People's Republic of China they had a balloon that was taken down a couple of days ago. They're saying all three objects flying over the U.S. and Canada are believed to be these balloons. Um, Congress want to know more about them. People said they've been scrutinizing um, the airspace at these altitudes, including enhancing their radar, which may at least partly explain the increase in objects that they've detected over the past week. Um, they said that they have not been able to definitively assess what these recent objects are, but they're going to remain vigilant. But they're claiming that the most recent objects do not pose a kinetic military threat. But the proximity, you know, are raising concerns. They could be a hazard to civilian aviation and thus have raised concerns. It's weird. Um, and like, this has been the fourth time this has been shot down. So the first incident happened with a suspected Chinese surveillance balloon. That's what they're calling it, this Chinese surveillance balloon. They tracked it down um, in the U.S., shot it down off the coast of South Carolina. This was early around February 4th. Then the balloon caused this bipartisan you know, concern in Washington because it was over Alaska and Canada and then through the U.S., passing over sensitive military installations and... It's been weird, even near ballistic missiles. But one of the times that really struck me, no pun intended, was that the military waited to shoot it over the Atlantic Ocean based on them being concerned about it all. And basically was saying they could risk people. It, it, they was basically saying that downing it could risk people on the ground being injured by the debris. But they said that people was concerned. Republicans and some Democrats said that they took too much, took too long to wait to hand that balloon. Then after that, two more of those objects were shot down before Sunday. One was over Alaska. Another one was over Canada. 
Um, the military is not confirming what type of objects they were, but people are saying they were two balloons. Um, and people are linking them to, of course, to the Chinese, since the first balloon was a civilian weathercraft. A lot of this stuff is getting out of hand. I just... Oh, there's a lot of things happening. Um, we'll see. I just am like... We'll see. Just stay woke. I don't know. Um, it's interesting because this has been increasing in magnitude. I don't know if it's just a stunt to scare people. I'm talking about from the Chinese. I don't know. But it's one of those things where I do think because we've been talking about eagle stuff that some people have not been following what's been going on. It's just been this weird pattern. Again, we're talking about football games. But there's so many other things that we can be focused on and we are going to be focused on. Um, and this is one of those things I think that's important. So we'll stay woke. We'll stay vigilant. Um, you know, different things are going to come out the air. No pun intended. But we should just stay vigilant stay woke. Whew. So outside of that, I want to talk about something that happened locally in Philly. So we've been talking a lot about the mayoral races um, this week, ballot petitions will be going out soon because people are going to start collecting signatures for various races, city council at large, all these different races. And I just want to say that I'm so happy that Mr. Johnson's birthday is on Friday because we'll be going to New York this weekend and having a cute little lovely New York. My parents and my younger brothers are coming in town also this weekend because we're getting, you know, this following weekend because we're getting geared up for next week's book release parties. So it's going to be some fun there. But I'm just happy that I'm not going to be bombarded over the weekend at grocery stores for people asking for signatures and shit. But a little bit on that later. Um, I say all this to say that I'm just like, it's coming now. This week, you all are going to be out of your streets if you're in Philadelphia. You're going to have people at your grocery stores in the streets asking to sign petitions. Let me just say this. You have the right to refuse the right, right, the right to remain silent. No, you have the right to remain silent. But you have the right to refuse to sign it. If you don't want to sign it, you don't have to sign it. They, you know, I've heard stories of manipulation of people signing petitions. If you don't want to sign a petition, you can just say, hey, I'm good. No, thank you. And keep it moving. Um, if you do want to sign a petition, understand that signing a petition does not mean that you're endorsing the candidate or voting for the candidate. It just simply means that you're signing for their ability to qualify or potentially qualify to get on the ballot as a candidate. So basically, you're practicing an act of democracy. But if you don't think that that person should even be on the ballot, then don't sign it. You have a choice. You have agency in deciding how you want to go about signing those petitions. Because in some cases, there might be people you're looking like, nah, I ain't trying to help you get to that goalpost. I don't even think you should be on the ballot. And there's some people, some candidates, in my opinion, I'm not going to name them, that I don't think she even be on the ballot because I don't think they're even qualified to run. I don't think they should even have a chance or a shot at running for office in, a, in certain positions they're in because they're just that's just taking number one votes away from someone more qualified and also just serving a public distraction um, in this ser these serious ass races we got coming up. Now for city council at large, um, you know the Democratic City Committee recently made endorsements. And they decided to only endorse four candidates, even though there's five open slots for at large. They supported and endorsed three incumbents. And then the fourth person was Rue Landau, who is a first-time candidate. She's openly gay. 
Um, she has a background in civil rights law. She was the former executive director on the Philadelphia Commission of Human Relations. She has a strong background in legal spaces, well-respected by her peers, and she's got the endorsement. There were nobody in the fifth slot, even though the Democratic City Committee, which is the Philadelphia Democratic Party, did endorse, well, I'm sorry, recommend, but they didn't endorse. They told people choose between three candidates for that fifth slot. Nina Ahmad, Aaron Satsumore, and Erica Almaron, um niece was the third person. So basically they said you could choose between three candidates that can be in that fifth slot. Um, I've heard other candidates are running for city council at large. There's a bunch of people. I do think some of these candidates are going to be spoiler candidates. It's looking real messy. Um, we'll see how this all plays out. Quite frankly, I'm just, I can't even think about city council at large right now because of just how many people are announcing they're running. Honestly, I want to see who's going to get on the ballot over there. But the mayor's race is getting interesting. But there's also an interesting race that's happening, two interesting races in Philadelphia Row offices. And I'm quite frankly disgusted with those offices. So there is the office of the sheriff, the sheriff's office, which is being led by a woman named Rochelle Bilal. And there's also the Register of Wills office, which is being led by Tracy Gordon, who is the Register of Wills of the city. And these are two black women in these positions. And I just want to say, before I get into my thoughts about these row offices in this situation, row offices are offices that are called row offices because they're not like... They're citywide, but their offices are very tailor-made duties and tasks. So these are not the most glamorous, forward-facing jobs. They're like very much so offices that people have to run to get votes from. But they're also offices that do interesting municipality tasks and things that are not actually as clear to the public. And for those reasons, it leads to oftentimes poor mismanagement, poor use of funds, all kinds of weird things happen in these offices. Now, over the years, you all know that I've spoken about Rochelle Bilal and her history. Um, but recently, she's just done several things that are just completely out of line. And Tracy Gordon, who I was a fan of when she first ran, I'm just a little disappointed with some of the decisions of that's happening out of her office. That's just stuff that I, I can't, you know, reconcile with. Um, yeah, it's it's one of those times where you're just like, mm, you know. So, yeah. So I'll get into some of this, which is very interesting. So the first thing I'll say is that recently the, the, the sheriff's office has become up for scrutiny once again. The Inquirer entertained the thought of what's the use of a sheriff's office. Now, back in 2021, I begged the question of the such, said she should resign, said she, she should basically get rid of the sheriff's office. There's no point for it. The, the office is, is swimming in tons of money, and there's just a lot of problems. Now, recently, this has come in scrutiny. So, like, oh, over a week ago, there was a story published in Inquirer with the headline, Philly Sheriff Rochelle Bilal doesn't want to discuss her 660, her 
$1,000 party at Chicken Pete's. Now, you should have known this is the devil's work because the first digits is 666, then two to describe that money amount. But um, the crazy part was that Rochelle Bilal and a communications consultant paid by her office did not answer questions this week about the $6,662 in public funds that Bilal spent in December at Chicky and Pete's. Now, who the hell spends nearly $6,700 at Chicky and Pete's? They said that would pay for 889 orders of that restaurant's famous crab fries. Okay? So they said that Teresa Lundy, who's a communications consultant paid by the sheriff's office, offered only dodges. They said they want to know who was invited to the party. At least one sheriff's department office department's office at least one sheriff's office department was excluded and they wanted to know why the public funds paid for it. Um, they contacted Lundy three weeks ago with a text and a voicemail to her mobile phone that she used to call this week. She said, I'm guessing this is with Cindy, with city dollars. She said with a sigh. Never a dull moment, she said. Mm. Mm. She wondered why the inquirer hadn't filed a right to know request for information, a process that usually takes weeks or even months. She el- she emailed them a day later, not with answers, but asking for all the information that she had given, that they had given her the day before. Um, the sheriff's office was clearly in no rush to answer questions, apparently, so they filed a right to know request on Wednesday. Um, apparently, Lundy had said, according to the inquirer, that the request that used that request to justify further delay, saying the sheriff's department, the office needed legal guidance from the law department. Mm. Interesting. Um, but we need to have some backup on this. So the reason why this is interesting is because Rochelle Bilal's first chief financial officer, his name is Brett Mendel. You'll be hearing more about me and Brett Mendel in the next couple of weeks and months. But, you know, he only lasted five weeks in the position before he was fired and all ushered out by armed deputies. The reason why is because he was raising concerns about how Rochelle Bilal had spent those public dollars. Well, Brett Mendel sued and the city settled that case. And this is back in 2020. He settled the case. The city settled the case. They paid him $258,668. They paid his attorney $128,000. And then they paid the and they paid $77,000 for a lawyer to represent Bilal. Yes, that was $462,792 that was paid for by public funds. So you got to understand, before we get into the Register Will's office, why the sheriff's office is a waste of fucking money. We're spending so much of the public's money on chicken peats. We're spending it on legal fees. We're spending this, and you know, at this point, so much waste of the money that she claimed that she was going to stop corruption and stop all these issues. She is basically have, I think the total amount of money that she's had to settle with and use have overridden the cost of settlements that her 
her predecessor, Sheriff Jewel Williams, the former sheriff, disgraced Sheriff Williams, had before her. Because the, the critique about Sheriff Jewel Williams was that he had a lot of settlements that was connected to sexual harassment allegations. Now, he's never admitted to doing those things. He's denied those allegations, and he's never been criminally charged. However, those allegations led to settlements made by the state and the city, to which, in some cases, people related to Williams have claimed that he did not have a choice in how those settlements were agreed upon. Okay. But at the end of the day, there were settlements, and they were costing tons of money, from state to... You know, when he was in the city, uh, these were also hundred thousand six figure settlements. But the amount, I believe, definitely is less than the amount that Rochelle Bilal has summed up over her time in this seat in her first term. So it's interesting how much she has so much to say about him. But when you look at her record, it's not looking that good either. Um, will she have a challenger? I don't know. There are speculation that there are going to be people that's going to run against her. But it's wild that she's having this this type of time. Now, other news, and this is the Register of Will's office, um, Tracy Gordon. The headline goes from the Inquirer, Philadelphia's Register of Wills let her daughter sell Eagles t-shirts from her city hall office. Now, there are plenty of places to buy Philadelphia gear ahead of the Super Bowl, but the Register of Will's office is not supposed to be one of them. Um, that's what they said, the Inquirer said as their subtitle. Um, apparently, she... This is a lot. Um, but. This is a lot to process. But basically, Tracy Gordon, who is the Register of Wills, at lunchtime on Friday, she turned her office to her daughter, who runs a company called Jim Rats Athletics. So basically, employees received an email at 10 a.m. on Friday from the office's human resources coordinator urging them to stop by the conference room at noon to check out some Philadelphia Eagles gear. And of course, because it's Black History Month, there will be some African-American collectibles on sale. The flyer left at every employee's desk advertised Super Bowl apparel, which was selling shirts for $18, $25 sweatshirts, $30 hoodies, and a $12 t-shirt for children. Not a bad price. But apparently they had a photo of Eagles thing they were claiming. And basically, she declined to be interviewed um, about the fact that she basically turned a space in the office of a public building for her daughter's private company. Her communication director said that the email to employees was sent in error. Quote, saying to the inquirer, Individuals in the office who requested sporting items supporting the Eagles from a private business were encouraged to pick them up during their lunch break. This message was misinterpreted and communicated throughout the office-wide communication by an exuberant employee. This has been addressed internally. Now, y'all know that's some bullshit. But here's the thing that stands out to me the most about this situation. Who was the employee... The shit should have never been sold, should never be promoted. The fact that it was her own daughter, conflict of fucking interest. And it would be hard, or it would be something to say, well, Tracy hasn't been in trouble. She was. She was fired from the commissioner's office for previous conflict of interest ordeals 
a long time ago when she was working there and it was similar issues that happened. Um, and, and this is not the first time she's had these ethical issues. Um, I want to be accurate. I want to specifically address some of the concerns um, that was brought up around her. And people don't talk about it, um, some of the things. But this was brought up um, because of it. So she was a former employee, a city employee. She was fined $2,200 for ethics violations. And this was when she was the deputy city commissioner. Um, she held the post from February 2012 to December of 2014. She was fined $2,200 for six city charter violations. The ethics board announced on Wednesday. She was suspended without pay in May. Um, and the ethics um, board impounded her city hall office computer. And um, she was later fired. But she insisted she did nothing wrong. She said all this is untrue and unfounded. She denied the charges. However, the Philadelphia Board of Ethics concluded that she solicited money from someone she helped in her office and engaged in prohibited political activity. Now, that was back in 2016. Now she's an elected official and she's doing some pretty questionable things in her office by having her own daughter selling and soliciting business in her actual office, which is public space. So this is just a lot of these weird, like, you should know better why you're doing this behavior. Like, you're running for re-election. The Democratic City Committee did not endorse her as an incumbent. They didn't endorse her four years ago, and they are endorsing her challenger, um, who's running against her. So this isn't looking too good for her. I don't know where her seat will be. I don't know if she'll win the seat this time. I think she's left and left, um, you know, yeah. I definitely think she's left a sour taste in people's mouth. Um, I don't know what this is going to leave for people that's going to vote for her. But I do think it's it's very telling. Quite frankly, I don't even want to water sugarcoat it. I think that these offices should definitely be uh, abolished. I think that it's obvious that these positions in office can be truncated into something much smaller and reasonable. They're just becoming cesspools for corruption. There's just too un many unchecked rules and policies. And honestly, I think that the people in those positions are basically, you know, figureheads that are just trying to perform public service rather than do it. And it's a waste of money that could be going to support other issues like our schools and healthcare and, and public services and clean up the trash and giving kids summer jobs and internships. I just don't know why we need to keep throwing so much of this fucking money into this cesspool of shit. So I don't know. Row offices to me are whack. I think that we can easily make a smaller department. We could actually take some of those positions and put them and feed them into other departments and offices, boost some of the revenue and staffing support. But this is how government gets too big. 
and gets too out of hand. And this is when people say we need to shrink the government. Like, this is just a waste. Like, this is just a waste of resources. And I feel like I'm sounding like a fucking conservative. But really, honestly, it's a waste of fucking resources. Like, the money could be going so many other places. And no, because I'm smart about this, it's not me. I should run for office and fix it. I'm just saying that to the people that are elected in office, that are running this office, they need to get some damn fucking courage and really speak out. Like, what pissed me off the most was how none of these elected officials had the goddamn courage to actually speak to the issues and talk about how the sheriff's office should be going. The only person that actually said that they would do would be Alan Dom. And granted, Alan Dom isn't the, my favorite candidate running for mayor, but it does say something that none of the rest of the other mayoral candidates want to speak on the issue. And part of that is because of the, the way that identity politics are weaponized. Like, there's something to be said for the fact that none of them said anything, right? Some of the bigger revolutionaries and radical people that people expect didn't want to go on record to speak it because they looked at the optics. That's a problem. And so if they won't say it, I'll say it. Those raw offices need to be abolished. They're a waste of resources. They're a waste of time. And we as people need to speak up and say something about it. That's my stance on it. I think we, we're wasting too much resources and time trying to pretend like these people are doing something. Like, I mean, how many dumb things we're going to keep seeing happening? Oh, but can I talk about like how this isn't the only thing Rochelle Bilal has done in this position? Like, are we going to talk about her staff? Like, is anybody going to talk about like the fact that her own staff is like out here moonlighting as a criminal defense lawyer? Like her undersheriff, Tariq El Shabazz, who ran actually for um, the DA a couple years ago, the first time Larry Krasner ran, the inquirer reported that he's been representing clients in court in city courts, which is an apparent violation of ethics rules. Yeah. Right? Like she had to put out a news release touting the success of Operation Priority Takedown, which was a warrant sweep that netted 31 fugitives. She bragged about this like last summer, but you know, she was with a bunch of law enforcement officials and her undersheriff, Tariq El Shabazz, which is her top legal advisor, was also defending people in court accused of some of the same crimes as those that were rounded up in the court. Like this is happening. This is happening right in front of our very noses. And so there's court records that show that he has been a defense attorney for at least 10 of these clients. And he was hired in 2021 by Rochelle, which means that this man who is being paid $200,000 a year, which apparently is more than her, has been opposing the interests of his own fucking employer, which is Rochelle Bilal. This violates the Philadelphia ethics rules. They prohibit city employees from representing criminal defendants, quote, if the case is prosecuted by the Philadelphia district attorney, which according to the guidance published by the ethics board, like this is all here. So he was paid all types of salary. This man is making hundreds of thousands of dollars. Like this man was paid a starting salary of $123,000 as the second in command at an office that has a $26 million budget. And, and the crazy part is, is that his salary hiked to $200,000, which is $57,000 more than Rochelle Bilal is paid. 
have no words. But what I will say is that there's a lot of weaponizing of identity in these conversations that, oh, we're coming after a black woman. No, this office is flawed as fuck. The way in which she's conducting business in that office has nothing to do with her being a black woman. It has all to do with her not having a moral fiber in her bone to do the work of the public without corruption being tainted. There's been countless examples of her doing things improper. I mean, the hiring of this disgusting ass cop that was accused of sexually sexually assaulting another male um, in a very grotesque way. The fact that that individual was punished to some extent and then now this man turns around and works for our office. This is not Tariq El-Shabazz. This is another officer that I heard about in 2021, which led me to actually criticize the sheriff's office. Like, this is what, this is what corruption looks like. And she has to go. Like, this is the kind of stuff that is broken. Like, our system is broken. The, the You know, we cannot continue to act like this is normal because of identity because people are getting money um for for just basically being complicit and i think that's a problem i think that's a problem i think that's a problem that a person like that can continually do what we what do this kind of stuff and we all just sit back and play these games so I'm going to tell you that it shocked me. This man, Bilal hired, this is in 2021, by the way. Bilal hired a disgraced former cop um, who was once fired for alleged sexual assault as her deputy chief. And she, once upon a time, you know, said that she was for police reform, which I knew was bullshit. But she's giving this man a $100,000 salary. His name is Michael Page. He was ordered by a jury in 2012 to pay his accuser $165,000 for invasions of his victim's bodily integrity. The worst part about it is that she has yet to speak to the public about her decision to hire him. And her spokesperson confirmed his employment to the press. But to me, the fact that she even would hire this man after he was fired and charged with forcing another man to give him oral sex in a Fairmont Park. And there was DNA evidence, right? There was DNA evidence that proved that, there, that this happened. He was acquitted and was regained his police job through arbitration thanks to the help of the, the FOP. That was back in 2007. And now he's back at the sheriff's office with a new job where he's getting paid $100,000 a year. The interesting thing was, and I'm getting a little graphic here, but 
this is an interesting detail because I think this is important. So parental advisory, you know, uh, viewer, just listener discretion advised. According to the details of the police report, the individual, the man, the victim in place said that he was smoking marijuana at 2 a.m. near the Belmont Plateau on March 16, 2007, when he said that the officer page ordered him into a police cruiser and then sexually assaulted him. He said afterwards, while he was driving home, the victim spit into a styrofoam cup. He then reported the assault to the district attorney's office and the internal affairs officials who investigated the case linked the semen, because that's what it was, the contents of the cup and page and sustained the allegations. However, a court of pleas, a common, a, a common pleas court judge and this is reporting from the Philadelphia Inquirer, um, they were hearing the case without a jury, acquitted Page of kidnapping and indecent sexual content, ruling that the encounter had been consensual. Now, when Page was disposed as part of Harris's civil rights lawsuit, when he was de de depositioned, basically, the officer insisted he hadn't had any sexual contact with Harris and that he only tried to quote-unquote mentor him. But that DNA evidence in the styrofoam cup, Page claimed that he'd often had sex with women in Fairmont Park and suggested that Harris had found one of his used condoms. Now... Science and evidence tells us that that's bullshit. Science and evidence tells us that we all kind of know. You was out there sleeping with sex workers in Fairmont and that he just so casually was in the area at two o'clock at night smoking marijuana or weed, right? Cannabis, whatever. And you just so happened... He just so happened to find some condoms out there with his semen and then use that DNA to put it in the cup to basically accuse you of forcing, you know, oral sex to which he did report. But you just add up the common sense and you figure it out for yourself why potentially this story is shady. Nonetheless, this man was clearly put in a position of you know, allegations. There was settlements that had to be done. There were several problems. Just saying. So, this is someone that she hired. After all of that, she hired this man. He's making six figures um, from the taxpayers' dollars. We're paying for this man to have a salary. And yet again, in addition to Tariq El-Shabazz, in addition to all these other $6,600 chicken pea expenses, like why the fuck do we have a sheriff's office, y'all? I just don't get it. I don't need it. We don't need it. Why? Fuck it. So... That's my stance on that. Um, we got to get rid of these row offices for sure. 
Um, as far as movies go this week, that was heavy as fuck, I must say. I must I must say that was a heavy portion, but we just don't need these offices. So, in other in other news, <laughs> Titanic came back to theaters. I snuck and watched it. Um, I had to see it. Um, 25th anniversary of Titanic. It's been out for 25 years. Goodness gracious. 98, it came out. 98. Won the Academy Award for Best Picture. One of the greatest movies of all time, in my opinion. Actually, my favorite movie, by the way. FYI. Titanic is my favorite movie. Saw it. Did so well at the box office that it surpassed Avatar The Way of Water of being the fourth highest grossing film of all time. It was initially Avatar Way of Water, but now Titanic then jumped up. And now Avatar Way of Water is number five. James Cameron don't miss, y'all. And of course, y'all know that Avatar, the first one, is his highest. So James Cameron, like, listen, say what you want about that man, but he's a he's he he can make a hit. His movie is was Avatar Way of Water. I saw it literally the first week it came out. Was mesmerized by it. So many people went to go see it. And it's just because has been a great sleeper hit that has just been building and building and building. But it did what he wanted to do. So, look, it was worth the wait. And we all waited to see it. And it did not disappoint on the charts. So, shout out to James Cameron. But awesome film. Um, as far as TV shows go, um, I watched Love & Hip Hop. It had its finale this week. Love & Hip Hop Family Reunion. It was okay. It was cute. I think I talked about this earlier this week, but yes, I watched it. Um, Abbott Elementary, the Valentine's Day episode, oh my God, it was so good. They did like a Valentine's episode. It's getting obvious that, you know, Quinta, not Quinetta, but Quinta, Brunson's character, Janine, and Tyler, James Williams' character is clearly having a crush on each other. Um... And it's obvious they like each other. I mean, we know they like each other. So Gregory, Eddie, Gregory and Janine, it looks like their relationship is, the, the, the plot is growing. We're starting to see their characters. I mean, I feel like the season finale, which is not anytime soon, but the show, we're getting close and close. I'm like, I'm, like, I'm ready for them. It's, it's getting close. We're getting close. But it was a cute episode. I don't want to tell too much of it, but they have a, it's, it involves a Telfar bag, and I loved how they did this Telfar bag because that bag in the episode, if you saw the episode of Abbott, I have that bag, that exact Telfar bag, that exact color, that exact size. And my my Telfar addiction is just increasing. So I did buy the Telfar pill. Um, a lot of people was like crazy about the Telfar pill, which is this cool product that... Um, is now sold out. <laughs> but basically, the pill is black and you can put things in it and attach it to yourself. Now, there's the small pill, the medium pill, and the large pill. The large pill is still available, but it's pretty much a big ass wallet. The medium pill is sold out and the small is sold out. I bought the small pill because honestly, 
I mean, the way that it works is that it's this three-molded clamshell case with a high-tech tactical polyester that zips all the way open with silicone, with a silicone pull to reveal internal um, interior foul pockets with mesh zip compartment and a plush lining to keep all your things on lock. It's it's the it's a, it's it's a detachable and adjustable um, strap that is connected to it, so you can wear it around your neck or your shoulder, your crossbody, on your belt loop or around your waist. Um, is it high tech or high fashion? Is it a bag or an organizer? It's the pill. Um, and the cool thing is they tell you what you can fit in it. So what the small, which is what I have, it can fit lip gloss, a lighter, lashes, ear pods, a dongle. Your phone charger, your USB mix, dime bag, mm. one hitter, mm. grinder, ah, eye drops, mints, coins, bills, hoops, studs, plugs, and what have you. Um, so you you got a chance to look at the different sizes, but I love it. I love the sizes. I think the small pill is like what I need because sometimes it's like. I want just to hold a little bit of things. I don't really, like if I'm going to a show or something, I may not want like to carry, like I just want to carry my wallet or something small. I don't, my wallet's a decent size, but like I want to carry little things on me and I don't want to go out and do too much. So this is like what I would wear to like a, a festival or outdoor event where I'm just trying to go in and out. Like I'm not trying to carry the bag and be flashy. This is like a quick in and out vibe. I kind of like this. And I think I can easily attach it to my belt buckle or something so I can keep it cute and simple. So I'm really feeling this one. So then they have the medium pill. And that one is interesting. So what can fit in there is your AirPods, your chargers, your breath mints, your chapstick, your vapes, your cards, your keys, your makeup, your do-rag, your shea butter, your rolling papers, your lighter, your receipts, your sweets, and what have you. That's what they're saying you can claim you can fit in this one. That one's also sold out, but you can get the large pill, which is 150. So the small pill was 75. The large pill was 125. I mean, the medium pill was 125, and then the large pill was um, 55 bucks. So there's some interesting price differentiations. I just got the small pill. I just feel like that's all I needed, and it's the color black. And so I have a lot of black like accessories. I got the black large bag, the black wallet the black small pill i got this all black theme going um but that that large pill is super huge like it's pretty much like a separate bag on you like you got like a it's like a big old bag to be honest and it's huge and you can fit like your dj headphones your cell phone your credit card your 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 a sandwich hot sauce hard drives a hairbrush a bonnet a beanie a backwoods yeah, I don't know all that stuff. You could fit all of that in there. I mean, to be honest, at that point, I'm just carrying a Telfar bag for myself. I don't need to carry. But I guess this is like almost like a man bag for like cishet men that may not want to carry a Telfar bag, I suppose. I guess. But, you know, it's something different. So who am I to judge or complain? But it's different. So in other news, before I, I lead off, um... There is talk about, everybody was like, what do you think about this Halle Bailey, not Halle Berry, but this Halle Bailey situation has been trending. You know, Halle is the sister of um, Chloe. Chloe and Halle, they are a great singing group, Grammy-nominated singing group. 
Well, Hallie, who's going to be playing Ariel in the upcoming live-action version of Little Mermaid, which drops, I believe, May 19th. Looking forward to seeing Ariel. Looking forward to seeing um, the performances. Um, Part of Your World is an iconic song. Um, I'm super excited to see the film um, drop. So it's coming out. I'm sorry. It's actually coming out May 16th. Um, so it's, it's going to come out the week after the 19th. So there's May 19th, but the week after is May 26th is when this movie is coming out. I'm super excited to see the movie. Um, people were upset that, um, the Little Mermaid trailer didn't drop at the Super Bowl. A lot of fans are pissed off about it. To be quite honest, the Super Bowl commercials this year were not that great. There was nothing really memorable. Um, people were always like, oh, well, it's Super Bowl, you know, there's always memorable commercials. There wasn't that really memorable commercials this year. I just feel like the recession is taking some of the enthusiasm out of advertising. I don't know, but you can feel the difference. But anywho, she is dating some rapper or some musician guy. I don't really know, some loser who really is not her level. But the guy uh, looks like it appears to be that he is still talking to his ex, which is this woman named Ruby Rose. And the girl Ruby Rose, who I guess is like an Instagram, I mean, she's like an artist slash Instagram model or something. I guess her music hasn't been popping in a minute, but it's been a lot going on with them. And apparently she's letting everybody know that Hallie's man is wanting her, is still in her DMs and they still got some type of chemistry. Girl is pulling out receipts faster than the damn IRS. And the stuff is looking mad weird. I mean, she had more receipts than CVS, baby. I was sitting there looking like, good God. Well, it's not so much about dudes being a dog because a dog is going to do what a dog is going to do. And I hope that, you know, Hallie does not let this man distract her, her grind. So she put it out on social that, and this is her response, which was kind of weird. She said, the devil is working with a heart, LOL. Please don't feed into the lies, especially from a third party. Stay blessed, everyone. I wish I could really like this, but people are like, girl, just act like you didn't see anything. Pay it no mind, which is before Valentine's Day, people were saying. And then people said, not the no weapon child, sweet. You ain't the first nor the last. Let him go, baby. And someone says, I feel for her. Someone says, stay blessed, queen. Love you. Um, People are saying... You know, the man is DDG is the guy who she was dating. I don't know who DDG is, but that's the boyfriend that she's dating, I guess. But people are just kind of like just dropping this in here, baby. They're just really trying to give her advice. They said, girl, oh, sweet baby. Um, She's ignoring that DM and tweeting this anyway. Um, People are just saying, you know, Hallie, girl, girl, stand up. When you graduated from the Beyonce School of Class, they're saying some people, but they're saying, child, delete this. See the flag, see what it's giving, right? I'm on the team of, look, honey, either you dump this man, you make him beg, or you get your lick back. That's the only way this is going to work. I think that when, as a communications professional, I know my, you know, I know my strategy, if I was on Haley's team on this, which I do love her, I think she's sweet. Listen, trying to frame this girl, gaslight this girl like she's crazy, 
Clearly something was going on DMs. Now, is her intentions messy? Is she doing the most? Absolutely, right? But she wouldn't be doing that if your man was not emboldening her in some type of way and giving her this level of confidence to speak like the way she is. So to me, something's going on because no one's that delusional. And I never, I never get caught up in the delusional woman thing. Like, yes, there are people that's delusional and they go left. I'm not denying that. But it seems like when you have an ex that is going public and she's showing things, it's hard not to believe that the insecurities that she has, which she clearly has, isn't trickling down into some situation where this man got comfortable and he wanted to have his cake and eat it too. Like he wanted to have his moments where he was over her, but at the same, like he would have his moments where he made me mad at Haley, at Haley or Holly, Holly, sorry, Holly, Hallie. Mad at her, right? And then said, let me go slide up in Ruby. And Ruby was sitting there on standby board, probably not doing nothing. It was like, oh, he talking to me. Okay, this is cute. I like the attention. I want to feel desired. And that there was still some things going when he felt comfortable. And so at some point, like we talked about earlier in this episode, maybe there was some feelings being felt. And maybe this was the opportunity for her. She probably felt like that he was going to leave the girl. And clearly he didn't. And she thought this could be an opportunity for her to take advantage. And then when that didn't subside, she like, fuck this. I'm going to burn the whole house down before Valentine's Day. Which makes sense because cuffing season is at its zenith right now. So, I'm seeing it various ways. I'm just putting it that way. I'm seeing it in various different angles and different ways, for sure. So, I can see it for sure, for sure, for sure, for sure. Um, there's clearly some issues there. Um... But, you know, I just, you know, she got a movie coming out. She got all these projects coming out. I'm just hoping that she stays focused and I get caught up in all this dumb shit. Her sister's about to drop a great album, potentially, um, coming out in March. It's Women's History Month. They got a lot going on. She's about to be in the Color Purple musical film later this year. Like, Hallie, you 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 got so much going on. This He ain't worth all this, boo-boo. I'm sorry. He's not. I wish these girls stopped dating these bad men. I mean, it just... It's just interesting how they want to have the cutesy girl look, but they like to date these rough boys who just don't have the maturity and the confidence to date a woman as brilliant as them. I just I just want better for the girls. It just seems like all the girls in pop just be making bad decisions with the men they date. Jay-Z, ASAP, Kenneth Petty, this dude. Like, I just feel like it's like all these great women in music are like most of them are dating bad men. That are not or men that are just not the best for them. You know, it's just so interesting. But you know, the sits heads are gonna sis head. Um, but yeah. So in wrapping everything up, I have a special announcement to make. Um, this week, this week, this week that we're looking forward to seeing, um, I'm going to be announcing my book tour. Yes, the first leg of my book tour is going to be announced this week. Um, we got dates confirmed, we got dates, we got locations, RSVP links. It's time. It's time. It's it's time. 
And, you know, I know there's another artist out there that's selling concert tickets this week and you all are scrambling and wondering if you're going to get your tickets or not. Well, here's the thing. There's another tour that's about to kick off much sooner. And guess what? You will be able to go for free because admission to my book tour is free and it's national. I'll be on the West Coast. I'll be throughout the East Coast. The first leg is going to be dropping with the dates and events. More events are going to be added to the schedule as things begin to ramp up. But for now, we are very confident with the confirmed dates across the East Coast. And we have a West Coast date that we just feel like, you know what, let's get these dates out because they're going to be at the end of February and they're going to be in March. And then more dates will be popping up. More surprises are coming in the next several weeks as well. But we want to make sure people have the ability to save the dates and confirm their attendance and get their RSVPs and register and all that jazz. The events are free. These events are open to the public. There's one event that's not open to the public. Those people know who they are. Those people got the invitations. They know what I'm talking about. But as far as everything else, everything that you see on the slate is open to the public and there are free admission and they're accessible and they're great and they're fun. And if you can't make one book sign, you can schedule go to another one. Um, there will The kickoff will be in Philadelphia and then we'll, we'll be hitting other parts of the country. But those dates will be coming this week. There'll be a beautiful slate. There'll be beautiful information. I can't wait to see you all. Um, my week ahead is going to be pretty busy. I'm doing a lot of media, pre-media interviews and, and lots of media, 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 media. So you're going to be seeing lots of articles and stuff coming out in the next couple of days and, and also further into the following week. The book week, which is going to be intense and lots of lots of press and buzz. So please bear with me as you see me sharing lots of book stuff and might be like, oh my God, all this book shit. You knew this day was coming. You knew this week was coming. You knew what time it was. So I told people, they kept saying, oh, I'm excited about the book. Listen, I told you when this time comes, I'm going to ignore the hell out of you with this book. I'm going to annoy the hell out of you with this book in a good way. But some of y'all going to be like, oh my God, this book, this book. Yes. Because y'all kept saying, where's the dates? Where's the this? Where's the that? And I kept being like, y'all, it's coming. But when it comes, it's going to overwhelm you because it's definitely overwhelming me in a good way. Um, so it's all coming. It's all coming. We are here. We are at the point of fun and excitement and joy and all the craziness. So, um, yeah, just stay tuned for everything as always. And as always, be well and be best. Earnestly Speaking is recorded in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. To stay up to date with the latest on the show, Follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Mr. Ernest Owens. Use the hashtag Ernestly Speaking to tell me what you thought about this episode and check out my website at ErnestOwens.com.